All right. Uh, welcome to Review the News, episode 61. We have a guest host tonight, uh, filling in for Neil. Uh, Dave Pinson has uh, kindly joined us tonight. And uh, as always, uh, great to have you, Dave. Uh, I know you tweeted out you were a little under the weather and uh, talked earlier in the show. Glad that uh, you're feeling better. So uh, thanks for coming on and uh, how's everything going? How's uh, how's the weather out there, as they say? Uh, a little brisk out here, but otherwise okay. And th- thanks for having me on. Glad to uh, be with you guys. Apologize for my voice uh, is a little rough today, but we'll, we'll manage. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I guess um, for, first things first, Todd, I'll uh, leave this question to you. Uh, do we want to go domestic pol- politics or uh, do we want to go uh form form policy oh i want i want to go straight to your korean man it's okay on. it's on so i guess the uh i i guess the uh ukraine uh is ramping up here uh i thought i saw the pentagon spokesperson say that 8500 troops were getting Kind of what they do, they were drawing up orders for 8,500 guys to be on standby. Um, I texted a friend of mine, I won't reveal too much, um, but uh, he said that, yeah, there's there's some things in motion where he's at. Um, and, of course, he's not, I'll say, he's not regular Army, uh, but is um, – so he said there are some things happening right now, um, which kind of leads me to believe that there are going to be moving uh, at least a certain element of troops either into that area. I know they did say they were going to, uh, what was it, the Baltics and some of the other Eastern European countries are going to move some soldiers and, and equipment there. But this is, um, you know, this is Biden's wag the dog moment. Um he really needs this uh, more than anything else, especially after the disaster of the Afghanistan pullout. Um, but before I get into my whole uh, uh, dialogue, what, what, what do you see from your point of view, Dave? Well, I'm not quite sure it, that Biden is, is seeking this out. I mean, I kind of wonder who's in charge at this point, because Biden, for all his faults, he actually was kind of prudent when it came to Afghanistan, saying we don't need to be here and we're going to pull out. And he resisted efforts by the military establishment and the defense establishment to kind of make it a non-pullout where we'll keep we'll keep the embassy and we'll keep like thousands of troops in an embassy compound. But it, it just seems weird to me that he would. Uh, that he would blunder into this. I mean, I guess it's not that weird. He's, he's not all there in some ways. And, but if you think about that press conference last week, where he kind of admitted that if Putin invaded uh, Ukraine, we wouldn't, we wouldn't respond with, with military force. It wouldn't make sense. And he, he kind of like seems to acknowledge that. But since then, it seems like we're moving toward DEFCON 1 for some reason, and it's we're moving in the opposite direction. So I don't know who's who's pulling the strings here, but it's it, it seems like it's moving in a dangerous direction for no reason. Yeah, I, 
And oh, go ahead, Todd. I'm sorry. I'll just say it's the military industrial complex. That's what I say. I think it's, um, you know what, like economically, that would make sense, but I, I don't even think it's an economic thing. I don't think, I think it's just people are just in, I, I think in the post-war era, we, we all the, the universities and the whole establishment in America was all based on this whole, we're going to fight communism, the Soviet Union, et cetera. And that just that train just kept going after the Soviet Union disappeared. And I quoted it in uh, the the post in Zero Hedge on Sunday. But a, a good example of that is this uh, Michael McFall, or McFowl, however you pronounce his name, who was the ambassador to Russia from the United States under Obama, and he was making this ludicrous comparison to Hitler and Czechoslovakia in 1938. We got to stop Hitler, uh, Putin here. He's going to take over us here. And Matt Stoller pointed out, it's like this is like complete nonsense. Russia has no global ideological um, motivation, and and this is right in their sphere of influence. It's it's a country that's right next to them that they have. I mean, it was one country for hundreds of years. It's it's just not. It's in no way. Uh, similar to the situation in 1938, and then also he said Russia has a legitimate beef with us, and, and we really kind of wrecked their economy after the Berlin Wall fell with the, those. I mean, it wasn't entirely us. They had some hand in it too, but there were American advisors that went over there, and it, it became a – I quoted some stats there from uh, the American Conservative article. It was worse than the Great Depression, what happened in Russia in the 90s. I mean, people were literally starving over there. And that's one thing. And then the other thing, I, I don't know if you guys saw it, but I posted an article uh, today where I, I basically posted Darren Beatty's uh, column where he went into more detail about the Ukraine situation. We basically precipitated this by fomenting uh, a coup of sorts uh, or like a regime change, one of those color revolutions in the Ukraine about eight years ago. And it, like, it's all kind of come from that. So, but it seems like Russia's main... I mean, they had a list of demands, but the, but the main one that seems to be shouldn't be any problem with us agreeing to, which is just not making Ukraine part of NATO, like agreeing that it's not going to happen in the future. And for some reason, the U.S. State Department, Blinken, they don't want to they don't want to say agree to that. They want to keep it open minded, but or open ended. Um, but that's clearly seen as like a hostile kind of act by Russia. I'm I'm right. Currently, right now, I'm reading. Uh, well, I should say I'm listening to uh, the McMeekin book, uh, Stalin's War. And and the one thing that I immediately drew upon, and, and, and mostly because I'm maybe I'm not a deeper thinker, um, because there's probably a lot of things to draw on, uh, is um, the idea of Putin has been painted as this right wing nationalist and i just wonder if the whole entire state apparatus would be up in arms if it was stalin trying to reclaim parts of the ukraine i mean the answer to me would be no because when when stalin took over half of poland when hitler had taken the other half uh the british um, pretty much their, uh, their version of the State Department was basically their foreign ministry 
was basically like kind of okay about it. It wasn't until um, Stalin moved against Finland that the British realized uh, that there, there may be an issue uh, with Stalin wanting to make these huge uh, territorial grabs. But for the most part, the foreign ministry, uh, which at that point had a lot of communist sympathizers in, uh, really um, had no problem with Stalin um, you know, walk it, walking straight into Poland and taking half of Poland. Um, it's an interesting so, point because that's the reason they, ostensibly the reason that they went to declare war in Germany because Germany violated Poland's sovereignty. Yeah, and that was the whole thing is that they didn't declare war on, on Russia, even though Russia wound up, because Russia did, was smart, right? They waited for Hitler to do most of the fighting and then they came in, they're like, oh, we're just doing a policing action, right? Meanwhile, they're losing, like, they lost, like, 1,200 troops the first day they entered in Poland and stuff like that. Yeah. But it wasn't until they really started agitating in Finland that kind of woke everybody up to be like, well, wait, what is he actually doing? He's not this, you know, it's not this idea of he's just coming to help people. He's actually being very aggressive. And and so my, 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 my point in all this, though, is when you see how left – uh, our State Department is, I mean, you go back to even all the communist sympathizers that were in FDR's regime. I, I just think really the obsession with Putin is because they just, for better or for worse, or whether he is or he isn't, and that's where I love, like, uh, was it uh, Nicola Saldo, all his stuff um, that he wrote. Uh, he had a, his sub his substack. He did, like, um, like, a series on that book, uh, the Godfather of the Kremlin, and he went into all of his stuff. But, but like, I really think if the if 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 they did if they thought Putin was actually a communist and a left winger, he probably could walk into the Ukraine right now and take the whole damn thing without them worrying about it. Because they just seem to the State Department, the elites, the leftists in this country tend to not have a problem with left leaning dictatorships. It's when they see a dictatorship as right wing and nationalist, as in the case of Putin, that they have a problem and it becomes this festering thing. Well, so. it, it, not in so many words, but Darren Beatty made a similar point in, in his post, which was that um, essentially the, the, the rules-based international order, the, the United States, it's, it, it just doesn't, ex the current establishment of the United States does not accept if countries don't agree with all of our values and our values constantly you know, have evolved. So for example, um, if, if Russia is not into the, the, the gay marriage and the transsexual stuff and all that, so they're, they're an enemy. I mean, and, and then you see, they also put pressure on even conservative countries that are, that are in the NATO umbrella now, like, like Poland, they're, I think they're putting pressure on them to accept to legalize abortion. If, if I yeah, remember Hungary correctly, too. Hungary and, and to kind of like the question is, can they remain in the NATO envelope, the EU, and and kind of avoid the pause? And that's an open question. Maybe at some point they'll decide they'd rather be. I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if at some point things evolve where you have like a new kind of Warsaw Pact where it was not communist but it was something not, not what we have now. Yeah. Not Western, right. Not or Western, I, right. I get, yeah. Western. As it's currently defined. Although right. but it's also possible that NATO may, may break up before then. I mean, 
you're seeing a couple inklings of happening. Like one is Russia, Germany has resisted. <clears throat> like um, they they blocked overflights of the Britain sending weapons to to Ukraine. So they're kind of um, they've been hesitant on that. And you know about the comments with the the commander of the German Navy. What he said in India. You guys heard that, I assume. Yeah, he said that uh, Putin is just looking for respect, and uh, what what else did he say? The 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 I th- and if you have he it, said, Dave. well, you know, he said that um, like something that's like common sense. He's like, look, we need we want Ru- Russia is we have more in common with Russia basically than China. He said this. He's like uh, culturally and all this, and we need Russia on our side in the in the big scheme of things uh, against as, as a counterweight to China. And, and of course, he, I don't know if you mentioned it in those comments, but <clears throat> Germany obviously is dependent on Russia for natural gas now, <clears throat> partly due to, uh, I think they've been shutting down their own nuclear power plants. So <clears throat> the other thing, inkling about kind of NATO going in a different direction or maybe dissolving at some point, the, uh, the candidate for president in France, uh, Eric Zemmour, he said maybe France should drop the sanctions on Russia. Like it may, it maybe doesn't make sense for us to have sanctions on them. So, I mean, that, that's another, an, another uh, angle there. I mean, if anything, if you think about it, it, it just seems like a pointless conflict with Russia because it, it, may, it was one thing when they had territorial ambitions as the Soviet Union, but after that, they became weaker. And, and not only that, we kind of screwed them over with the whole, um, reform of their economy, which really just, just destroyed things. And we also, we, we kind of broke our promise not to expand NATO eastward. So, I mean, just telling them that we're not going to put countries like, like Georgia or Ukraine in NATO, it seems like it's, it, it's not a huge sacrifice on our part. Yeah. And you know, I, I honestly, when when Trump was going around in the beginning of his presidency trying to get everybody to pay the 2%, he kind of floated the idea of getting rid of NATO. And I really wish he had pursued that because... Either get rid of it or invite Russia to join it. I don't know if they would at this point, but keeping it as an anti-Russian alliance makes no sense at this point. Yeah, I mean, if it, you know, the thing about NATO is is just dissolve it and start and start over i mean it would be like having the alliance of this the sixth coalition still exist you'd be like there's no napoleon so why are we the sixth yeah, coalition it's been 30 years since the the end of the cold war you know what i mean it would be it's like wait i gotta prop up the austrian empire because i need the sixth coalition wait napoleon's been dead for a hundred over you know 150 years there are 200 years yeah or whatever. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And this this reluctance to just let it go, because, uh, you know, and I'm always I'm a big Burnham guy. Uh, I, what they've done is they've built such a massive bureaucratic structure. That's exactly that, it. And this is the stupidest reason in the world. But there's a lot of people getting six figure jobs that are very nice and they want to keep them. There's a whole bureaucracy. And, and it's like. Let's sit here and let's make a PowerPoint about why we're important. And justify our existence, and it's possible they may be justifying their existence into a into a, a you know a horrible war for no like, reason. Like I said, the military-industrial complex 
Flight yeah, I remember was still correct in 1952. Yeah, and I, I. I think it, I know, you know, that I think that's a major part of it, but I think, I think it's deeper than that. I think it's this bureaucratic managerialism um, of the E of the of NATO. Um, the simple fact that they just won't dissolve. Cause you could recon, like Dave just said, you could reconstitute an alliance against, you, know, you don't have to call it directly against China, but a defensive, you could do a mutual aid defensive pact type things that are even less aggro towards the, the Russians and basically still keep the same idea of NATO, right? And just redo it and restart. All, I mean, what's better than a well, old well, bureaucracy? If you, it, if you go back go to ahead. the 90s, I mean, <clears throat> I think you make a good point. And this is probably something people should have thought of then, which is if you just say, let's get rid of NATO, you're immediately going to face opposition from people who make their living from NATO. But if you say, let's create a new bureaucracy for global security or some other bullshit, maybe you can give these people jobs and they're not as resistant. And yeah, I was just, I made a tweet or responded to something that Loma said. I was just thinking that the whole idea of the end of history, um, if we played our cards right in the nineties, I mean, we did some destructive stuff. There's no reason why maybe we couldn't have had like a, just a total, global era of you know general peace like i mean for example what if instead of antagonizing russia what if we russia and china kind of were all on the same side fighting terrorism fighting piracy things like that and working in ways where china could develop and russia could develop but not in ways that are just going to totally hollow out our our uh um like we kind of screwed ourselves our elites screwed russia and they screwed america in different ways i mean with the china thing they just they they lost the plot i mean the idea about larry summers yeah i mean him he's part of it but the whole idea was people forget why we do things to begin with like i'll give an example people even well-educated people i don't remember the guy's name but he he went to harvard and he's a pundit and he had a column in the ft and he just like an offhand comment, he said that showed his ignorance. It was, um, we need, like, well, why can't Republicans get someone who's, who's in favor of, of free trade? You know, going back to traditional Lincoln. It's like Lincoln wasn't a free trader, you moron. Lincoln was like, <laughs> tariffs were up there fighting slavery. I mean, tariffs were like his, his number two, his number two uh, position. I mean, he was a huge proponent of, of, of tariffs. Everyone was back then, except for the South because they had slavery and no one's going to undercut them on labor costs, but everyone understood it's just common sense. And then in the post-war, you got rid of our tariffs because, you know, most of our allies were bombed and we wanted to help support their economies. So they wouldn't, you know, be, be desperate and turn communist. So like we forgot that that was the rationale for it. And then 50 years, 70 years later, people are still in that same mode. Oh yeah. Well, let's just, uh, sure. Let's put China in the world trade organization. Let's make them the most favored nation. Let's outsource everything to them because that's how we, you know, that's what we do. Well, why do we do that? It's, it doesn't make sense in this, you know, at this case. Yeah. I, I think going back to your original point, I think the, the 
creation of, you know, I, I was about to say what's better than an old bureaucracy than creating a new one. Right. And that could have, you could have sold that in any different direction. Um, uh, to, but the, but the NATO, the NATO thing is just, it's just wonky to begin with because I thought, I thought they had to go and change. I want to say when they were like invading the Balkans and stuff like Clinton had, they had to go and basically like change half of their charter. So Clinton could uh, invade Serbia and things of that nature. If I remember correctly, I mean, this is so uh, such a long time ago, but that kind of also goes to your second point of why did we do I'm things sure they originally? They had to change it for Afghanistan, I would think, right? Because NATO was involved in Afghanistan and that, that's well, they, and they invoked the NATO alliance because they said that, Afghanistan attacked the United States. And when you attack one member of NATO, it's an attack on all members of NATO. Right. And that's why they couldn't use NATO. They wanted to, but that's why they had to go to the UN and get all the resolutions to go into Iraq because so Iraq was under like the UN. Well, also I think like France, for example, wasn't going to participate in Iraq anyway. Well, so was Germany. Yeah. That, um, did they participate in Iraq? No. Yeah, okay. Okay. No. And then I remember, um, I think Poland was the largest European, one of the largest European contingents in Iraq. And of yeah, course, and, and, it's always... And, but, no, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, it's always us, the Australians, who they're doing a bang-up job with their own citizens right now, but that's another thing for another day. And then the UK... Right. So it's the three, it's the three uh, bros. And then we just try to drag as many people into this shit as possible so that we can say that it, it was a consensus. Right. I mean, it's, it's almost like the shit coalition, they do. Yeah. With, well, with the, that, yeah, it was a coalition of the willing. That's right. What they well, called with, it. with Australia situation is, I mean, it makes sense for them because they're out in the, the ass end of the world. They're near China. They're out near all these large countries, potential enemies. And they want to, they're always kind of like, putting that deposit in the America's emotional bank account. So if they're ever really yeah. fit, we're there for them. So whatever the war is, they're like, I'll do it. Like they were in Vietnam, every war we've been in pretty much, I think. Yeah. Uh, every well, war we've been in uh, since except for maybe like little ones like Grenada that last like a week or something, but right. yeah, everyone's that. Yeah. Every major conflict. There. Right. And, I, and then Poland, obviously similar, similar logic there. Like they, they wanted to be in our tent after the whole Cold War and all that and, and, and kind of solidify that relationship. And for the same reason, I think they've been um, they've been eager to have U.S. troops uh, in there. But, you know, just going back to what you said before about your friend and he's not active duty, it was kind of news to me reading that that thing by uh, Cliff. Cliff um, what's his name? I, I quoted him in one of those posts. He's also the guy that was on Tucker. Cliff Aldrich, I think is his name. Oh, yeah, Cliff Aldridge, yeah. Yeah, but he made a point that there have been U.S. troops in Ukraine for, like, years as advisors, and not only just regular army, there have been, like, National Guard units that go over there. Yeah, they so they had a whole – they've got multiple programs, and I think that was stemming from the, uh, the color revolution. So there's been multiple programs where they brought a lot of units over there rotationally to train – Ukraines and my buddy was actually in one of those. The same guy was in one of those rotations, and um, he, he said some pretty interesting things. He's like, "I don't think they feed these people over here," 
you know, and, and cause he was talking about like the ability of these guys to like pick up equipment and hump equipment and stuff. And he's like, they're so skinny and scrawny and uh, you know, um, and the other thing was, uh, um, he said just the lack of interest and the lack of wanting to be prepared for a conflict with Russia, like these people really didn't, at least the people he was training in the Ukrainian army, they were really not interested at all in anything that they were trying to teach him or trying to instruct him on in terms of uh, combat tactics. Well, well this and goes to something that, uh, that Edward Lutwak has kind of implied. He's talked about Ukraine and also with Taiwan, where the United States can't be more concerned about their sovereignty and their security than they are themselves. Like if you're really concerned about a larger country invading you, what would you do? You would do what, what Switzerland does and what Israel does, where you basically have a giant militia. You, uh, you, you train and you arm the bulk of your, of your military age male population. And Taiwan hasn't done that. Ukraine hasn't done that. So it, it just, it, it's, it's, it's a more complicated situation, I think, than even some of our people running America understand. Like in, in the eastern part of the Ukraine, a lot of those people are actually, they consider themselves Russians. Uh, yeah. Well, they are, and they are. <clears throat> yeah. They are Russians, you know? Right. Oh, yeah, and that's another thing with uh, <clears throat> Crimea, for example. Almost everyone in Crimea wants Russia there. They are Russian, and they want them there. Like, why are we making an issue when the people in Crimea are happy the way it is? It just makes no sense. Like, since Russia took it over again, apparently they, they put a ton of money in new infrastructure and stuff. It's, it's, just, it's just picking a fight for no reason, it seems. On our yeah, side. well, well, the Soviets were very good during, well, the, during the Soviet times. The Soviet Union was very good at strategically placing massive Russian populations into the satellite countries. Um, the way it was explained to me, and we have our my friend uh, Edwardus from Lithuania come on from time to time, and I, 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 I'll have to ask him again next time he's on the show. I sent an email to him the other day to, to, to come on and talk about this because we have our disagreements about Russia. I'm like, dude, I don't want to get involved. And him being in Lithuania is like, you need to get involved, right? He's like, you need to, you need to come over here and start fighting these fucking people for yeah, us. But you and, see, you're right. You see ethnic Russians like uh, in, in the UFC. Valentina Shevchenko is obviously an ethnic Russian and she's from, I think, Kyrgyzstan or somewhere. Yeah. And so, and so the way my friend explained it to me was that when the Soviet union um, was going into these satellite countries, I, I should say the Russians as the Soviets, when the Russians went into all these countries and they saw like all your factories in the city, what they would do is they would basically send like 500,000 Russians to work in all these factories in your city. And that's why, I don't know if you remember this, but there was, um, uh, I want to say like 10 years ago, maybe even longer, 15 years ago, there was going to be a big uh, hullabaloo because Latvia passed a, um, a constitutional amendment saying that you needed to be able to read and write in Latvian. And then you had to uh, and then that they were also at the same constitutional amendment that got passed. They passed another bill in their parliament that got rid of the rest of the Soviet era statues of like Lenin and Stalin. And it created like a crisis on the border because like 
apparently, and I didn't realize this, but like the population in Latvia is like 51% Latvian, 49% Russian. And so the Russians were going completely ballistic that the Latvians would do this. And the irony of it all too, is like Lenin would have never have had all of his successes if he didn't have that uh, original loyal Latvian battalion to go out and fight uh, originally during the, the, the October revolution. Uh, his most loyal troops were actually Latvians. Um, and, and so, uh, so because Russian has these populations there, it also, as we were talking about before with uh, Stalin and Poland, they would always make these claims. Oh, yeah, there's Russians there, so we got to go in and make sure that they're okay. Um, and that's also a strategy. So when Putin, so it's very easy for Putin to go look. There's, um, yeah, you have a lot of remnants of the Soviet Union, Russian people living in the eastern part of the Ukraine because they have either minerals, mines, or or factories there. And uh, there's a huge Russian population. I got to make sure that the Nazi, right, because the, 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 the comparison is, is that the, the, the people that were installed in the Ukraine are like neo-Nazis or whatever. It's like, I got to make sure that the neo-Nazi Ukrainians aren't going to just start killing Russians, you know, because of old World War II grudges or something like that. And, and uh, so I got to move all these troops into the Donbass region and, uh, the, and, and Crimea, they were never going to get away. Uh, the Ukrainians were always going to have an issue with the Crimea because um, that uh, Crimea had always been a part of Russia. And it wasn't until Khrushchev became premier that they gave it to the Ukraine as, as part of its territory because Sevastopol is their Black Sea port. So, yeah. Um, it, it, a lot of these things are uh, again, and, and naval base too. Yeah, it's well, it's, it's their yeah, it's their main access. I mean, that's why they're. I mean, and this is the the history that donors. We've done such a terrible job foreign policy. I mean, we've we've made the Turks and Russians who are, have literally been enemies for a millennia. They're they're friends now because of our policies, because of the yeah. way we've pushed them into each other's camps. Where traditionally we've always used Turkey in that area as a counterweight, especially in the Bosphorus and the Dardanelles, that little water water region to help kind of maintain a little control on what the Russians were doing. Now they're like bros. So, and that's all because that, and that's all our doing, um, in, in in terms of terrible foreign policy maneuvers. Um, which again, well, I don't goes think it makes sense to have Turkey still in NATO. If you, if you're gonna have NATO. It would make more sense of Russia in and Turkey out, obviously. But I mean, well, that was so when I was doing my uh, degree in the United Kingdom, one of the big questions at the time, and this goes back to, oh, oh, the, the aughts, the early aughts. The big question was letting Turkey into the European Union. They wanted to vote to have Turkey enter into the European Union. And people were, and at least some of the smart people went out because they were like, holy shit, what are you, nuts? Like, why yeah. would you give the Turks, like, free access to everything in, like, you're going to have millions of Turks because... No, yeah, look, look where it puts Europe's, it puts Europe's uh, eastern border where, like, on Iran? I mean, it's like, or the, it's, it's pretty close to there. It's like... Well, not only that, not only that, 
Dave, you have the economic aspect of look how crazy the Turkish lira is. Like every 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 couple of years, that thing is like ping pong ping pong and all over the place. Yeah, um, it'd be like they, another like worse than the Greek bailout. It, yeah, exactly. And then you already had a, you already have a huge Turkish diaspora living in Germany, and they're not the most you know law abiding bunch either. Not to mention you have all the Kurds that the Turks push into. Um, you have a huge Kurdish population in Germany. You have a huge Turkish from that Turkish worker program they had in the seventies, and the French the French caught wind of that shit, and they were like, absolutely not. Um, which was which is uh, ironic in itself, right? Due to the fact that all the the post colonial uh, or the the all the former colonial people live in France now, and there's like millions of no go zones, and that's a whole nother thing. Um, but but yeah, when you look at the when you look at the Ukraine Russia thing right now, it, it does not it absolutely doesn't make any it makes zero sense um, from uh, an American geopolitical. I mean, you just extricated us out of a war so we could recover what you would think like some finances and some um, at least some respect. Give us some time to to heal here in the United States, and you're just going to get us in a conflict that's even worse and. Um, you know, it's crazy. Why would you go and fight over and die for Ukraine and, and Russia? And uh, it's funny thing, because I got into I got into a, uh, a spat with a guy, uh, my friend Oleg, who's a finance guy in New York City. And uh, uh, he, w- he wasn't a big fan of the show. He said I was a, na- a nasal, uh, what do you call me? Uh, he called me a nasal... Uh, he called me a nasal voice podcaster. So, um, uh, so oh, yeah, Oleg, I, I saw that. Oh, Oleg, I hope I hope you're listening. Um, but uh, we're not fighting and dying in the Ukraine. And then, yeah, because I, I I asked him. I said, look, I said you're you're Ukrainian. You live in New York City, okay? Obviously, he must be making some some good money. So he's got he's basically got like in his profile, he's a finance bro. And I'm like, bro, are you are you flying over there to go fight for the homeland? Right. I'm like, you, like, this is the other thing. And I know this is I'm going to digress here, but this is what pisses people off, too, about all the foreigners that come to this country. It's like they got all these fucking back these loyalties to their country, to their home countries. But here they are. So here this guy is on Twitter, who's a Ukrainian. Right. Wants people like, like Afghan me. friends talking about we need to go back there, and protect the women in Afghanistan or something. And uh, I, I was thinking of, I was thinking of going as a translator, but my father said, don't risk it. It's like, well, your father's very prudent, but I mean, why should other people risk it? Right. Exa- exactly. And, and so here, here's this guy. He wants people like me to go over to fight, to keep his former country. For, so I just asked him, I said, Hey, look, did you book your ticket to Kiev? Are you flying over there? Are yeah. you going to go fight? And he's like, Oh, you're you're a Twitter tough guy. How about I pay for you to fly to New York City and we have this co- conversation in person? And it's the first thing I think in my mind is like, li- listen to this fucking guy. He's gonna <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna fucking what punch me in the face to make himself feel better and and try to get me to go fight and die in the Ukraine. Like he would rather pay to have me fly in so he could do whatever he wanted to do, right? Fight me or whatever, right? Because that's basically what he's what he's saying. So he would fly me to him in New York City to fight me, right? 
to prove the point that people like me if need to go guy, away. Go to Ukraine and fight Russia. That's what That's I'm saying. It's like it's like yeah. bro, it's like you totally proved my point, you you asshole. Because like it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense. Like you've got all this bluster. Like go and go and do it. No one's stopping you. I mean, I I, I like to think of like at least the shit libs during the Spanish Civil War, like your Hemingways and your um, who else? All those dudes at least tried to go to Spain and fight in the Lincoln Brigade, right? Those That's why you have all this great poetry and all these great novels and everything that came because the guys like went there, saw real fighting for 10 minutes and was like, fuck that. I'm not going to be like Hemingway wound up was like an ambulance driver. And then I think he like just left. He like, he like just turned. It was like, okay, I'm done with this. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, you know, I know there's um, uh, what's that mystery Grove has all the Peter Kemp stuff, right? Nine like, of trouble. Yeah, mine were of trouble, but Peter Kemp was on on the national side at least, and he stayed and fought to to the bitter end. But I'm saying at least people then kind of put their money where their mouth was, right? They bought a plane ticket to Spain if they believed in the cause, and they went and fight. Now you got these you got these foreigners living in our country, and they're like, "Hey, you need to go over there." And it's like, <laughs> it's like you go, you go. It's your place. You go back. Go back and fight for it. Fight for your freedom. Yeah. Right? Instead, you're over here telling us what's wrong. Number one, what's wrong with our country? Number two, after you're done explaining it. I mean, that was like the tweet. That was the tweet the the Ukrainian prime minister put out, right? Uh, We're a great uh, power or something like this. No, the one that said, like, you're safer in Kiev than you are in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, that was funny. It's kind of like, because you want the Democrats to, you want Biden to protect you. And then you're going to kind of, I mean, what you said is true, but it's kind of like a slap in the face. It's funny. Yeah. It's like a total, you're going to, you're going to, here's the country you're courting to come fight and die for you. And then yeah. you're going to insult them with their, their shitty cities. And I agree with you, Dave, he's not wrong, but he's not yeah. the guy to be pointing that out. Yeah. Not right? the guy, not the time, obviously. Yeah, I agree. And, and, uh, and so like that, that's what is making this, the Ukraine thing even more, uh, farcical as time goes on, um, and then I know I'm 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 going off here, so so please jump in and stop me. But I want to talk about that second article that you had written um, uh, in Zero Hedge about uh, what was it, women in the wrong place or something like that. Oh yeah, that was uh, right. I, I posted um, Emil Kierkegaard's. I, I had a little commentary above it, but. That was Emil Kierkegaard's um, paper, or not his paper, his post about about the differences between men and women, and he talked about yeah, um, we can we can talk about that too, sure. Well, my my point is with this, with the Emil Kierkegaard thing, and this is in relation to the U.S. Army, right? So, and I was th- I was thinking about this earlier, and this is what this because you see all the the transgendered now, all the women, right? The army posted a tweet with like a Lana Del Rey quote. I'm like, what the fuck is going on, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they post a tweet. It, it's kind of like you know the stolen valor they talk about. Yeah, it's 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 almost like stolen Americana, I would say, in the sense that Lana is. Um, you know, her whole thing is kind of like Ralph Lauren, like it's all Americana and American flags, and it harkens back to, to, to decades where America was more American than it is today, more 
more traditional. And the the U.S. Army today is doing the opposite. They got the recruiting video with the two lesbian moms, and they're totally at the cutting edge of wokeness. And and Lana's not. You know, Lana, as far as popular culture goes, she's she's conservative. She's reactionary, basically. And you're going to try to associate yourself with her. Get out of here. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Well, I, I even thought of it even Get even your name deeper. out of her mouth. Yeah. Because I, I thought I thought of it like this, right? Because I have my buddy that I was talking about earlier, and I and they're and what 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 they're what the army what I think what the army has realized is this, right? Or or at least the real upper echelon is that all those things that you just mentioned are going to attract pretty much a large segment of the population. And I can say this being a vet myself, right? Most of those people will never, ever do any fighting. They'll never be anywhere near any fighting, okay? And they'll never experience the types of, of horrors, but they'll go around and they'll be able to say that they can get their 10% discount at fucking Denny's, right? They'll go to the parades. They'll be like, I started the transgendered group at my battalion. I was the you know president. What, you never right? know about the combat stuff. I mean, uh, I remember... Um... Years ago, when I was in, it was like after the first Gulf War, uh, we were doing like a training thing, and, and this uh, another NCO was saying to some recruits, he was like, "You know, we got to watch our backs, whatever. In, in, if there's a war." And I was thinking to myself after the Gulf War, I was like, it's not going to be not in the war for a long time. And that was like that seemed like really like a one-off kind of thing. When is there going to be like another major war? But you know, then then came uh, Iraq too and all that stuff. So yeah, but. But Dave, I, I, when I served overseas, you had infantry battalions that did, quote unquote, the fighting. But even the infantry battalion, it was really a asymmetrical special forces type warfare. And so this is my, my whole point is no, we don't know what the next thing's going to be. Like if this Russia yeah, thing but really happens, that it, could be it, something it, that's more conventional. You're not going to, they're not going to, um, the, your conventional forces are going to be there almost in a defensive situation only to augment your special force operations because they've expanded special forces to such a degree. You have more battalions of special forces now than you ever uh, you've ever had in the U.S. in the U.S. military. You've got more brigades um, of, of special forces. Uh, a lot of that's fighting the last war thing because this whole Iraq thing with. Oh, we need counterinsurgency and all that. Well, you know what? <coughs> your your saber rattling against Russia. <coughs> excuse me. And um, if that goes down, that 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 could end up being pretty conventional. And you're not your snake eaters aren't really going to do well against tanks. Yeah, I, I mean, I, what I what I see it as is is this: like, you, you ever go to a you go you go to a bar, right? And the bar has three beautiful women there at the bar and that represents the regular army like it's all for show it's all all the stuff they're doing is for show but in the background you have this dude who's like the guy you never you don't even really pay attention to but he's the one making all the drinks because those three beautiful girls they can't they don't know how they can't make a drink they can't make the drinks fast enough they can't get them out to the customers 
but he's the guy hustling in the background. And that's really your, your, to me, your special forces element that those are the real guys that are going to be doing the fighting. So this idea, like you have all these women in combat, all these combat roles and this stuff they keep showing you, it's completely, it's complete junk. Cause in the end, the guys that are going to be fighting is going to be either special forces or you have like your ranger battalion and you have, um, you know, some of your infantry units, which are still all male dominated. Right. I mean, but all this other stuff, the bulk of your army is support. Um, and that's really what they're I mean, that's really what they're showing. They want to get women in combat arms, but let me tell you when women start showing up, um, even more so than before, because this, this happens sometimes, not always, but when women start showing up, missing limbs, um, you know, dying at the same rate. I mean, how, how, how appalled were people when the female Marine, uh, what was it like one or two female Marines were killed the third out of the, what was it like the eight or nine or, uh, the, the ones that were guarding the evacuation out of, um, when the suicide bomber hit, uh, at, at, um, what in, uh, Kabul. Kabul. So, I mean, I think a lot of that stuff's window dressing. You you absolutely don't want a conventional war with with Russia because you, you couldn't. Number one, number one, at this point, who's going to join the U.S. Army? How, how are you going to? If it, let, let, let's say they launched into Ukraine tomorrow, let's say Russia just says, you know what, fuck you, they roll the tanks in to the Ukraine. Ukraine goes, okay, we need the help, and Joe Biden sends the regular army. And then you're in a situation where you're in Iraq. Right. And you're like, well, we're going to be longer here than six months. Um, so we need volunteers. I mean, unless the army is going to come out and pay people like 80 bucks an hour, basically to go and fight, which I guess they could, if they just print money. But I mean, it would be an, an utter disaster. Cause how the hell would you even get people to fight? They could draft they'd bring the draft. You think they'd bring the draft back? I I'm just saying they could. I don't know if they would. Yeah. Well, I mean, now I think that it would be popular. Well, here, here's the funny thing, right? The women fought to get on the what was it? The selective service stuff. Yeah. So guess who's guess who's getting drafted? It's not just the well. Songs. It's like it's you guys remember the meme war from 2016, where uh, what was it? Ricky. Uh, yeah, Ricky Vaughn. Was he the one who did it with, with like the 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 women in the in the uniforms? And it was like you know vote for her. So we can serve against Russia or something like this. It's like the memes becoming a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Rams Paul posted uh, some, some funny tweets about like with the, the military and the people in the military who are going to go fight against it. And it was like uh, some of those, what was that round table? Those like uh, male to female officers and they're all wearing their, their skirts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, geez, Louise. But um, kind of goes back to your point, right? Because Russia won't buy into the whole, um, you know. I don't know if you saw the picture that I used for uh, for the new article on Zero Hedge. I got it from someone on Twitter where he took General Milley and he kind of made it look like he's in drag. Yeah. He put yeah, lipstick yeah, yeah, on him that. and all that. So, um, like, that's something I probably could only get away with on uh, Zero Hedge. <laughs> Assuming I can get away with it there, we'll find out. Well, again, the army, I mean, they had, uh, 
what was it on MSNBC? They have, I mean, they bring Colonel Vinman on all the time. I, I mean, you can't, this, this is a guy who was being approached to be the defense minister of the Ukraine. And then he's going to turn around and talk about not, you know, that he doesn't have dual loyalty and all this stuff. It just blows my mind. It, 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 like how we got here, how far uh, we've gotten away. And then just even more so the point, and you brought it up before beautifully. It's like, what a waste. Like we could have put this whole Russia thing to bed in the nineties. And here we are. Um, and I really think if, if, if Putin was a left winger and, uh, you know, was like a communist for the workers, I'm going to give and kind of had that same kind of rhetoric. I don't think he'd be in half as much trouble. He'd be operating under the radar. Um, but yeah, I, I just, so let me ask you this, Dave, do you think, uh, what do you think this will be? You think this will just be maneuvering or you think there'll actually be some shots fired or between us and Russia or between Russia and Ukraine? Uh, let's go with us and let's go with Ukraine and Russia first. Cause I'd be easier one. Uh, my first thought was, was no, but it seems like uh, the longer it goes on, it seems like there's, there's, it seems like it could happen. I mean, uh, Anatoly Carlin, he was, he was Russian. I think he initially was skeptical, but he's starting to think there's a, there's a possibility it'll happen. Um, I, I would say probably 60% chance something happens between Russia and Ukraine military. And what do you, and do you think, what do you think our involvement will be? Hopefully nothing, but, and, and I don't think the Biden administration as crazy as they are, I don't even think they, they want to get involved. But I think that they may do things from a sable rattling perspective that will unintentionally, you know, that'll, they may stumble into it. Like, for example, who was it? I think someone suggested, uh, I think it might have been Lutwak. We could send, um, we, we could send naval ships to the Black Sea to confront, uh, to confront Russia. I mean, I think this would be kind of a stupid idea. It's, it's pretty tight quarters over there, relatively speaking. And, you know, ships can kind of get in each other's way. I mean, particularly the way our Navy is, we've been, we've, we had more than one occasion where a destroyer collided with, a, with a, like a, a tanker ship or a container ship. And it's like, you know, the people driving our ships, they're going to accidentally hit one of these Russian ships, you know, it, the shooting war starts from stupid thing like that. I mean, I don't, it's, it just seems like if your ships aren't near their ships and the same thing with the planes, there's less chance of something stupid happening. Kind of like in, um, remember the hunt for red October where they're, they're doing those, uh, like there's the plane crashes and all that. And, and the guy that ran for, um, he ran for president. He was a Senator. He was also an actor. Remember his line about how, this is like yeah, Fred Thompson. Killed. Yeah, Fred Thompson has that line. He's like, "This is I forget the exact line, but he's like, this is going to get this is going to get bad, and people are going to get killed because there wasn't a shooting war going on, but they were in such close proximity that they could stumble into something like that." Yeah, my um, um, my worry is that 
if an American is killed, that would precipitate an expansion of a war, I would imagine. Because if an American is killed, we have to respond, I would believe. Why? Yeah, why is the American there? If, well, if they killed an American here, absolutely. Russia killed yeah. someone in, 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 uh, in New Jersey or like Texas or something. Yeah, that, that's a cost spelly, but they kill someone who's uh, in Kiev. I mean, what the hell is he doing there? They kill, uh, what's her name? Chicken Kiev? If, yeah. if, if, what's her name? About? The girl who, that... uh, who for a minute like said she, she was non-binary or something. Talia, what's her last name? You oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tally, oh, she's got the samurai swords, right? Isn't that her thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she cut off all her hair, and then she's like, "Call me Tal." Like she wasn't sure if uh, I'll, I'll look it up while we're talking. She she wasn't sure if she was still a, a, a woman, and then now she's back to being Talia. Uh, hang on, let me see. Check in Kiev. I think she's funded by some George Soros kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think Todd, to your point with the American citizens, um, Joe Talia Biden, Lavin, right? Talia Lavin, yeah, Talia Lavin, yeah. Joe Biden already said they're on their own. They got to get a domestic flight out of out of Kiev. He, he, there, there's no there's no plan to get anybody. So if Americans got killed again, it would be on Joe Joe Biden, right? And then we're journalists. This... <laughs> so we're gonna leave Americans behind as second. Well, flight. this. I'll tell you what happened. It'll be the same thing in Afghanistan. What we'll do uh, is we'll take is we'll let a bunch of Americans get killed. Then we'll send a bunch of airplanes over there, and a bunch of goobers will fill the airplanes with twenty five thousand Ukrainians that claim to be interpreters. <laughs> and they'll and, and more they'll interpreters move. than there were like uh, Americans. Yeah, exactly. Just like same thing in Afghanistan. Then they'll move to Tom's River, New Jersey. They'll you'll have that's what we need. Yeah, you'll have twenty five thousand Ukrainians in Tom's River, New Jersey, and you'll never speak a lick of English in the fucking Tom's River ever again. So, if they want to that, reopen the Kiev and the Lower East Side, that's cool. But we only need like twenty of them for that. They they'll 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 have. I mean, and that's I, I hate. I mean, I'm laughing about it, but that's exactly what you know. That's exactly what'll happen. The NGOs will come. Oh, you got to rescue all these Ukrainians. What they do? Well. They gave an American guy a glass of water one time. Oh, bro, he's one of us. Get him on the yeah. plane. Get him, yeah. get, get him back. Get him back to the States. Yeah. You know, it's like unbelievable. Next thing you know, they're, uh, the, the, the state they put him in is dark blue because all these fucking people are voting for uh, Id idiots. You know, it's like, yeah. Um, we're still trying to figure out who they brought in from afghanistan nobody no clue that kind of they still child brides all kinds of stuff all sorts of weird shit man it is weird yeah. shit so go ahead todd but yeah let's talk I'm, about the americans in kiev i'm just concerned about those troops uh, if there's 8500 troops at the border and somebody gets killed that's an american in action i mean well, i don't think they're going to the border of uh, of russia and i, I don't think so you know what they should the I hate, I hate to say it. They should do that. Put 8,500 Americans on the Ukraine-Russian border just to see what fucking happens. Just to be like, 
hey, we're here. We're just hanging out. We just we just wanted to we just wanted a better view. I mean, at this point, I, I mean, the only <laughs> the only adult in the room at this point is Putin. Yeah, it's great <laughs> stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, guys, I got stuff. Wait for a minute. I'll be right back. Sure. Okay. Yeah, with that troop, with that troop movement, Todd, I think they're going to go, and they're supposed to be more in the Baltics. Well, I, I think, I think what they would do is they would augment um, the uh, the troops that are already there. I, I think it's just kind of just to call up people to call them up. I don't think eighty five hundred dudes aren't going to do shit. I mean, that's if he was calling up the entire eighty second Airborne. You know, now you're talking, but yeah, you're. Uh, I saw 127,000 Russian troops are at the border there, so 8,500 really is not going to do much about that. Yeah. So, yeah. Look, my my thing is, and then I think we should move on from this topic. Um, my thing is this: uh, we'll let Dave have the the last word on this. Um, My heart goes out to the Ukrainians and to the Russians, both, because I don't know who the the good guy, bad guy is in this situation. And I know we've had a lot of involvement on both sides, and I really wish they could resolve this peacefully. But I think if the Ukrainians, the Ukraine gets invaded, the Ukrainians need to fight for their country and stand up for their country. Um, and I think they need to do that. They don't need other people. And quite frankly, if Europe wants to get involved, let the French send thousands of troops, let the Germans send thousands of troops, let the Poles, um, you know, let the British, you know, the British aren't, here's the other thing. The British aren't completely incompetent. Let them run the, the whole show. Let them, they've got a, a pretty decent sized military. Um, it's really a regional conflict that they're going to pretend is a worldwide conflict. And based on the escalation, because it's dissatisfies the bureaucracy, it's not just the military industrial complex that you talked about. But because this satisfies the bureaucracy um, as something to do and something to be working on, right? Because now you got all these people at the State Department writing papers and sending things back and forth. Um, you know, uh, you got got you got the pundits on TV. Oh, we gotta send, you know, the army in there, and we gotta um, give the Ukrainians weapons and. Of course, the people who, who are not going to go and fight in it are all about sending money and people to go fight and stuff. And I just uh, I see it totally unnecessary, especially after the Afghan debacle how we pulled out. I just I just don't uh, I don't think it. I think Russia might start shooting in the Ukraine. I think the Ukrainians should shoot back. That's my advice. And I I just use the military industrial complex complex as a uh, euphemism for basically the um, ruling class really wants the United States in perpetual war. I mean, they, they, they really enjoy this. Uh, Trump was the only one that got 
got us out of war, every other president tries to get us into one. And I think this is Biden's um, Biden's war. That's what I think. Oh, absolutely. Conflict, at least. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, the one detraction from Trump was that he actually never 100% extricated us out of anything. But the fact that he started the conversation, we should always tip our hat to. Um, because he was the only one who showed some commitment to, to doing that. And I think that's a great point, Todd. And I think, um, and this is something we could ask Dave, which is the DeSantis Trump, um, you know, what he, what his take is, if that's a real beef or not, or if they think they're going to run, but, you know, I think this would makes Trump a front runner. I think, Biden or whoever Biden's handlers are, especially Kamala Harris. I'm Kamala Harris. I'm in the White House every day telling them not to do this. Because what is Trump? What is Trump? What is the one thing Trump runs on besides everything else that's going haywire? What does Trump run on? Hey, remember me? Four years, no worse. Right now, you got your kids are fighting in the Ukraine. Why are they in the Ukraine? Well, like me, and I'll make sure that doesn't happen, or I get them out of it, or whatever. So, um, yeah. And I, I think that beef uh, between DeSantis and Trump. I, I'm not surprised DeSantis would run against Trump in the, in the primaries. I mean, quite frankly, I've heard a lot of scuttlebutt about how Trump has baggage. And any of the Republican would be more well positioned to win. And I've heard the uh, perspective that uh, Trump is the only way a Democrat would win in 24. So I, I could definitely see that. Uh, well, I mean, there's even talk. I thought I saw some chatter on in the in Twitter about Hillary Clinton trying to primary Joe Biden. I don't know if you saw any of that. I saw that, and I would love that. Hmm. I, I think that would be an interesting primary debate, um, her versus Joe Biden. I mean, that in itself would be worth – I mean, the only problem is, is there is a fear that she could get elected because, again, the only reason why I think she's back is because in her mind she's like, look, they pulled the strings for Joe Biden – Right. They basically rigged it for Joe Biden. Well, they need to rig it for me. I mean, that's probably what her thought was when he won. Right. I mean, she was the one on TV. What was it a week or two before saying, don't whatever you do, don't concede. So. Yeah. In her mind, I'm sure she's owed. I mean, for her years of service, basically. Yeah. So um, I, I think. Uh, I, I don't think the Trump DeSantis rivalry is as bad as they say it is. I think there probably is some overlap in terms of their people. So maybe there's some, there's definitely some personality conflicts probably between their people, the people, the DeSantis people and, and Trump people. Cause obviously Trump lives in Florida. Right. Um, but I mean, I would love to see, uh, a DeSantis Trump primary just so Trump could sharpen up a little bit in terms of debating and policy wise. 
But I mean, I would. I, I don't think uh, a President DeSantis would be terrible. Um, you know, the thing, the thing, the thing that I think DeSantis has the edge over Trump is DeSantis knows how to navigate these governmental bureaucracies because he's done. He's been very successful in Florida navigating the courts, navigating the the um, um, legislature. I mean, even my cousin, call my cousin, even my cousin, who's kind of like a quasi shit lib, he really didn't even have much to complain about Ron DeSantis. He, he was kind of like, yeah, yeah, oh, you know, I guess... Um, at the time, his complaint, DeSantis was getting into it with like the county commissioners or something like that over some dumb shit. And he was like, well, those county commissioners are right. DeSantis is wrong about that. And I was like, dude, it's, this is such a non-issue. I was like, nobody's even heard about this outside of where you're fucking talking about. And he was like, yeah, but this is important to us. I was like, oh, I'm sure it is. But I was like, it doesn't really. I was like, it's not a Florida wide thing. It just seems like it's a county thing. Well, yeah, it is, and this, that, and the other. I, I wish I remember what it was for the life of me, but this was like, um, I want to say three years ago we were talking. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, even he couldn't come up with enough negative stuff to say about him. So, I mean, that just shows you what a great job DeSantis is doing. I know that's very anecdotal, but um, this is someone who wouldn't compliment him if if he didn't have to. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if Trump wasn't running, or if he was somehow had already served two terms or whatever, uh, DeSantis would be the front runner for the nomination. Obviously. Yeah, I wouldn't take it though. Back going back to your point earlier about twelve years. True. In that scenario, if if you you had Trump for eight years, you're probably not going to get a third term. That's historically what happens. I mean, it happened for Reagan and Bush, but uh, Reagan was so popular when he left that Bush uh, came on as cocktails. Most of the time, that does not happen. Yeah, and but and here's the thing with the Bush presidency, right? He he set Republicans back like twenty years. His presidency was so terrible. He he set them. He set. Uh, Republicans back forever it felt like. Right, he wasn't even really conservative he was moderate to liberal nowadays but yeah, exactly and uh, even the the Bush family I had the pleasure to meet George W. Bush in the White House and I was disappointed with his uh, comments, what was it, last year and all that the Bush family is really turned on the uh, conservatives and their base and all of that. So, you know, it's uh, rather rather unfortunate. But getting back to uh, Trump and DeSantis, I was waiting for somebody besides Trump to get in there because, first of all, uh, the mainstream, as you say, the uh, non-Trump Republican Party had to have somebody uh, step up for them, uh, the never-Trumpers, even though he won't, uh, DeSantis won't say that. 
but uh, the Never Trumper needed somebody to step up. And I think that the, he's being used. He's probably not going to be the only one. I mean, obviously, we're going to have a open primary with several candidates. Um, who, else, who else do you think besides DeSantis would run? You think Cruz, Cruz will probably jump back in, right? Cruz will probably run. Christy Nome will probably won't run. She won't get it, but she'll probably run. Um, oh, you got Haley. Uh, Nikki Haley. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So those the usual suspects, I would say. So, uh, but really, DeSantis and Trump would be the two front runners. <clears throat> I would imagine so. Um, and and really, uh, I welcome that at least in the primary. You know, just don't uh, don't uh, run as a uh, what do you call it? Don't do a Pat Buchanan to uh, George Bush in '88 because I think that did weaken, or I'm I'm sorry, it was '92 that did weaken Bush against Clinton. So, yeah, I would say well, that. Well, Dave. Uh, well, no, it wasn't Pappy Cannon. It was Ross Perot. Well, yeah, I'm just saying uh, Buchanan primaried him. I think it was, in, I thought it was 92. It could have been 88, but he was primaried by Buchanan. I remember one of the two times. But yeah, but Perot really was the one that damaged Bush. You're right. Well, yeah. So, Dave, uh, Dave what, what's, your, what's your take? Do you think... Um... Do you think the DeSantis Trump beef is as bad as they're making it out to be, or do you think it's uh, a little? I, I tend to be on the side. I think it's a a, a bit overbaked. Um, and besides DeSantis, we just kind of went down a quick list. Who do you think will be in the in the primary coming in twenty twenty four? I think if Trump runs, I don't think DeSantis is going to be. Uh, he's gonna, I don't think anyone serious is going to run against Trump if Trump decides to run. And I think Trump is going to run. I don't think because uh, anyone who does is going to burn their bridges with with the, you know, with with Trump's supporters who are a lot. So my guess is what will happen is Trump will run, and the people who are going to run against him, you'll get like some not like an Evan McMullen, but someone like that. You get some fringe kind of Christy Noam. Maybe, 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 or someone more probably even she is probably too, too, uh, too savvy to do that. It's probably like a, a total no hoper would run against them. Just somebody to maybe collect some money from the never Trump people or something. I'd really be surprised if DeSantis ran against them, but you know, um, Mike Cernovich, who uh, I don't always agree with his stuff, but he did have an interesting point. I think it was over the weekend. I don't know if you guys saw it. He did. Have uh, he, blocked, it. he blocked me. <laughs> oh, okay. We found one person that blocked you and hasn't blocked me yet. Um, <clears throat> but the, the point he made was uh, he kind of gave pros and cons for DeSantis and Trump. But this is an interesting pro for DeSantis, he mentioned. He said the next election – there's going to be lawfare after the next election and probably every other election going forward. And an advantage DeSantis would have is he would get some of the high profile lawyers 
you know, like uh, to, to support him. And he, and he, I think going back to Bush Gore, Bush had heavyweights, like former solicitor, like solicitor general level attorneys. Whereas Trump, his point was, at least last time, was kind of blackballed by a lot of the, the big lawyers. So if it comes down to that, DeSantis would have better lawyers. But, I mean, I don't know if DeSantis would. I, I just, I don't know. Well, I think I, I was saying, I don't know. I, I think I said this to Todd before the show, right, when, when you were coming on, that I, I could see the strategy of DeSantis you know, kind of sitting in the background, um, holding on to Florida, running Florida, keeping Florida as like the red fortress, letting Trump do the one term because then Trump is term limited, right? Yeah, what's, but, what's the rush for him? He's like in his early 40s. I mean, there's no rush at all for DeSantis. The yeah, only rush well, not, is to never Trump people that don't like Trump. Right. And, 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 and the other thing is, is that he doesn't run into the, the problem of having an eight-year incumbency that you have to follow up and differentiate yourself even though you're in the same party as the person with the baggage right it's like john mccain didn't have a snowball's chance in hell because he had to basically defend eight years of bush's administration which was extremely unpopular by the time he ran for president um you think so like you think he really i don't know honestly i don't think uh I think McCain lost for two reasons. I don't I think, think he really was trying to win, to be honest with you. Well, I was going to say, I think he lost for two reasons. One is when he came out and he made that idiotic statement about not suspending uh, his campaign because during the when, with the Lehman thing. Yes. He did that. And then the, the other thing was the statement he made about like not attacking Barack Obama on a personal level or some crazy bullshit. Like he wasn't going to go after Barack Obama for it. Meanwhile, Obama's running ads about like John McCain basically coming to kill your children, which I mean, if uh, McCain had his way, he wouldn't kill your children personally. He would just send them to another country to die in the great war machine. But like, um, but then he also had to defend eight years of Bush. He had us like, how do you differentiate yourself? You voted as a Senator for eight years of, all this shit, you know, what makes you different now? Or like, you know, I, and I just think, I really don't think, you know, the other thing is John McCain isn't the man that everybody makes him out to be right. I don't think John McCain really could stand there and do, and, and do that and defend that and, and could rise to the challenge. So again, my, my whole point is that DeSantis would have four years of Trump. um, And if Trump had done, one or two good things. Let's say he gets elected in 2024 and 2028 comes around. DeSantis could be like, look, I'm going to continue these one or two things. It's a fresh four years. Um, you know, you don't have that kind of party hangover, but that's just my gist. So. I'll tell you, just going back to 2008, I think that had Romney won the, pro- the primary, he could have won the presidency then because that would have been the perfect environment for him. 2008, middle of financial crisis and you got a guy that looks like Mitt Romney and has that resume with all the financial background, he could have, he could have done, you know, what, what, 
what John McCain was trying to do. Oh, I'm going to get everyone together and we'll talk about stuff, that kind of thing. He could have been like, you know what, in, in this environment, who do you want? Someone who, who's been in, in finance for decades and government or a guy that's been in the Senate for two years and, uh, and gave a good speech. But I don't order, think order of the damn. I don't think I don't think either one of those men would have had the gravitas to actually go after Obama and his policies. That's what gravitas, think, but the aggressiveness. Well, yeah, I mean that you saw that in 2012. He didn't. Um, Romney sat there and got like carpet bombed by uh, <laughs> by Obama or or the Democrats with these negative ads for um, you know all summer, and he didn't respond. I mean, the whole, I remember listening to, not that we're rehashing the, 20, the 2012, but like the binders of women and then him putting his car, on a dog on top of the car and the media just like fucking never let that shit go. Oh, I felt like year. Yeah. It, I mean, I know it was just a short time, but it felt like they were talking about that shit for years. I mean, so much so I remember it today. It was like they just never let it go. It was like binders full of women, binders full of women, binders full of women. It's like, and and then um, uh, the he put his he went on vacation, put his dog on the roof, and then Romney just had no it because they wouldn't. It was just so fearful of actually going after Obama, being like, "Look, this guy is a nut. His policies are terrible." Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean that that. I just don't – I think kind of circling back, as Jen Psaki would say, um, I, think, I think I agree with you. I think DeSantis is in a hold and wait pattern. I think he definitely likes to chatter because um, he wants to get that in people's mind. Like he's next. I'm next after Trump, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any benefit to DeSantis just saying I de- I'm definitely not going to run. Because you want to raise money. Does he have a, a, a pack yet? I mean. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't started following it that closely. I, I, I've, I've, been, I've been kind of laughing a little bit about the gerrymandering stuff and some of the 2022 congressional elections, especially since 25 Democrat Congress people have decided to retire. So I really haven't looked too much into the um, presidential stuff. Well, let me uh, let's move on here, and let, uh, I, I just want to talk. I wanted to ask you this. Oh, what what's twenty two going to be like? I mean, I don't want to let that go. How how uh, is it going to be as bad as I hear on the media? What what do you think, both you guys? For for the Democrats, I think it it, it yeah. probably will be bad. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, it, it's hard to see. Well, I what is it that Paul? to say that people's perceptions I think they get locked in before November right is it somewhere like around June or something like your economic perceptions right so I mean it, it just seems like a tough situation for him like let's say the Fed successfully lowers inflation in a noticeable way between now and, and the summer is there how the a hell are they going to do that well, that's the thing. I mean, are they going to do that in such a way that it's going to cause – I mean, I can think of a way to do it, which would probably be if you raised rates high enough that it caused <laughs> like a bear market in stocks 
and a recession. A recession would, would definitely probably, you would think, would lower inflation because there'd be less demand for stuff. But it, it just seems like either option. Like, let's say they, they kind of got spooked by the last week or so. And they're like, all right, we're going to hold off on raising interest rates. And we're going to not really be aggressive in, in our chatter. And then, and then what happens? Inflation stays high. People are still getting like, you know, they're, they're, they're just getting, every time they go to fill up their, their car, they're reminded of it. And crime is still high. I mean, there's nothing he can do about that at the national level, really. And they're not in a good frame of mind when they vote. They're going to just be anti-incumbent. So that's, that's one possibility. The other possibility is they successfully rein in inflation between now and then, but at the at the price of people's 401ks are down like 30% and they're, and maybe there's a recession too. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of good options. Yeah. And, and that's why I think I'm with you. I think, I think it's going to be terrible for the Democrats in 22, but, but the Republicans are going to walk in. They're going to have a huge fucking problem. So there, because, and I think, I think the Democrats have played this perfectly because it's going to be up to the Republicans to fix it. And I don't, and I don't see how you avoid some sort of maybe not a recession per se, but at least some recessionary um, stuff. Uh, I get, I'll use that as a technical term um, is going to happen. Because you have to do something. I mean, if if you if they walked in tomorrow and just turned off the printing presses, that alone would cause so much problems and pain that um, I I just don't. I think Republicans are going to sweep in, um, but I don't think I think they've got a long road, and I'm just afraid that they're just going to kind of keep continuing to kick the can. Well, obviously, with Biden and the White House, you're not going to. I mean, the Republicans won't actually be able to do anything. That's not true. In, Cong- in Congress, if they wind up having the House and the Senate, um, they can impeach them. <laughs> well, not only if that, they want to play that they, thing, which but- they won't do, which they won't do, because they're they're. Cow- I mean, I don't see Speaker of the House Kevin nah, McCarthy yeah, leading that charge. Um, but no, oh. but 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 to Todd's point, I think the more important thing is that I, I think. The, the blame for the economy is going to go on the president, not Congress, particularly Congress that just got elected in. Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. So yeah, um, so I mean, what they should be doing if they get in would be to come up with a lead, like just pass a bunch of bills and let let Biden veto them and and just like have like shape an agenda. For the next Republican president, and then they could say, in in 2024, they could say, "All right, well, you know what we're going to do? If if you if we get if we get reelected and we get Trump in or whoever, A, B, C, and D, this is the stuff that's going to get passed." So they ought to be thinking in that in that way. And then it's like there'd be no need for a whole bunch of negotiating. It could be just like a really a first agenda, just ready to a first term agenda, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's actually uh, you know pretty pretty sound strategy. I, I just don't know if they're if they're bold enough to do it. And I think it also depends because if you get, if no, of, the tricky part is like, is there like it, it would kind of help if you knew who was running for president? 
like if, if Trump came out and announced and then there was like a tacit agreement that no one's going to run against them because they would lose, then Trump could help them shape that legislation. Otherwise, if you're if you're shaping legislation with the idea that it's going to be someone with, I mean, it shouldn't be that huge a difference because what's popular in the Republican Party, if they want to be honest, is Trumpism. So whether it's Trump or not Trump, it should be broadly nationalist, populist types of policies. Yeah. Yeah. And I, don't, I just again, I think it all depends on if if if. If there's a uh, hundred Joe Kents that show up uh, to Washington D.C. Uh, in uh, in in January of uh, what was that? Or, uh, the um, in, they start uh, right away. Don't they the Congress? Like in yeah, it, yeah, in November of uh, twenty-two, or is it going to be a hundred Kevin McCarthy's that show up? Because that really is where your po- that's really where your policy is going to get dictated. Because Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene. Is not the same as 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 Liz Cheney, right? We've seen that. So you almost have like a Democrat Republican divide within the Republican Party. So you, yeah. you have the neocons that still need to get purged out of the party, um, and 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 there's a lot of issues. I so that's what I mean. Like you're saying, I mean that's a wonderful strategy, but they've got a long way to go to get there. And then you got to find a leader because Kevin McCarthy is not going to do it. Nothing he's done has shown me that he's got the leadership skills to. He can't even keep control of his caucus as a minority guy. I mean, now you're going to give him the speaker and he's going to rule the majority. Like I don't think so. That's how you wind up getting guys like John Boehner and shit being the speaker of the house is because they outmaneuver the Kevin McCarthy's and they're just kind of slimy snakes and they know how to maintain power, but they never really actually do anything other than enrich themselves. So, um, but anyway, let's get into some of the juicy stuff real quick. I just, I I wanted to see if you have opinion, if not, whatever. Um, but what'd you think of, uh, the, the Barry Weiss, um, uh, and who's the British guy, Douglas Murray piece on uh, Pedro about Pedro being an anti-Semite. Did you see any of that? Yeah. And um, I, I saw that, I think it kind of blew back on, on, uh, on Douglas Murray a bit. Yeah. Big time. Yeah. I think he had one line there. that didn't make a lot of sense to me where um, you shouldn't make fun of someone's appearance unless you're like an Adonis or something. And it's like, like if, if it's, if it's the right to make, if it's wrong to make fun of someone's appearance, what does it matter what you look like? I mean, like, like with someone <laughs> who's like, like some, uh, I mean, if someone said the exact same thing as Pedro, but he was like a male model, would Douglas Murray be okay with it? Well, I mean, I hate to be like this, but we know gay men are very narcissistic about their looks. So is he gay? I didn't even know that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. Okay. Um. All right. But uh, I, yeah, I I just I just loathe the fact that when people like Barry White, like whenever you get a shitty liberal and they start just kind of going, Wait, like, what's the Barry White connection? Can you remind me? I know Douglas Murray wrote the thing. Is that the so one that uh... it was Barry Weiss's Substack, and she her big thing? Oh, Barry is... Weiss. I'm sorry. You know, I thought you were saying yeah. Barry White for a minute. I know what Barry Weiss is. Okay, yeah, right. It was on her Substack. 
Um, yeah, and she she's kind of uh, I, I think the broader thing going beyond Pedro is that Barry Weiss, Douglas Murray, Claire Lehman, they they want to be gatekeepers of the right, even though they're not really on the right. You know, I mean, I guess when she was at the Times, they called Barry Weiss that. But no, they're basically kind of centrist liberals who feel like the left has gone too far for them. So if they want to kind of, to use the political term, caucus with us, fine, but they don't get to set the, you know, they don't get to decide who, who's in and who's not. Yeah, I, you know, I, I couldn't have said it uh, better myself, Dave. I think that is a, the most succinct point, and I, I totally agree with that 100%. What drives me crazy even more is when people like that say one thing that can be remotely interpreted as a conservative point on something. And you get these people that just kind of start falling all over themselves to like appease them. Um, Like when Barry Weiss was on and Todd played it earlier, I don't think you were uh, uh, on yet. uh, The Bill Maher show and Barry Weiss agreed with Bill Maher about you know, COVID being overblown and this whole thing's over. And then you have like these conservative guys, like we've been um, saying for two years or whatever. Yeah. Well, not only that, but it's like, and I like Clay Travis. I'll just pick on him because I saw his tweet first, but it, like Clay Travis, oh, look at Barry Weiss telling everyone that COVID. It's like, bro, why are you giving her like oxygen, man? It's like, she should have been on. Yeah. She's only saying, and I forget who said it. I don't know if it was like a low, like a Lomez or, but one of those guys in that in that area were like, look, or maybe it was um, uh, Benjamin Braddock. Um, but anyway, one, one of those guys basically came out and was like, look, you, the, the conservative blue check marks that are kissing her ass. She's saying something that she only now feels safe to say because she knows it's acceptable in her circle of friends. She's not fucking saying it because she's some like um, pathfinder. She's just saying it now because she can. And it's been it's been conservatives who've been fighting to get to this point that people can feel comfortable to say this. And then she'll turn around and write shit about like Pedro. Right. So it's like and I tend to agree with that camp. It's like, do not give those people any oxygen. Not only do they not, you know, if they want to like, I don't know, maybe I'm a little bit more rigid. It's like, I don't even want them fucking caucusing with us. It's like, I don't even want you around us because this is the fucking poison they inject and you get these like idiot, you know, um, conning conservatives, like singing their praises. Oh, Barry Weiss is great. And Claire Lehman makes a good point on it. And you're like, get the fuck out. It's like most. And then the next, you know, it's like, I don't know, maybe that's just me, but that's, that's my take. When I see that stuff, it's like the, they're wolves and sheep, sheep's clothing. I think um, a funny thing about Barry Weiss is that she got her uh, wife, to convert to Judaism before they got married, where it's like, you know, if you were serious about Judaism, uh, like every other religion, like gay marriage wasn't a thing until like 10 years ago. So it's like, you know, we have to respect the faith of my forefathers by you converting so we can get gay married. I mean, it's just bizarre. Oh, Barry was really gay thing. too? She is now, yeah. But she was, was married she to a, She was married to a man before, yeah. Okay. Kind of, um, you know, uh, sort of a uh, same time decision, <laughs> I guess. 
No, she was married. She was like a good guy. He was an engineer or something. She was married to him, and now she's I, married to a woman. I always think about the amount of shit they gave Lou Diamond Phillips, right? When when what was it? Was it Bijou Phillips or whatever his wife's name? Remember how scandalous it was when she left and got with another woman and he was there and the, the Lou Diamond Phillips jokes were like endless about him like not being able to satisfy a woman and all that crazy shit. And so when yeah, it was uh, stuff like that. I, I had a friend in college whose, whose girlfriend left him for a woman. So, but it's, uh, that would be kind of joked about that, but that's also, um, you know, that was the whole thing in France with, uh, with Ross, his college girlfriend, leaving him. Like all that stuff in friends that was played for humor is like deadly serious stuff today. Surprised <laughs> that shows if that show didn't make a billion dollars a year, it probably would be off the air. The syndication. Yeah, that's uh yeah, that's funny. I didn't I never really was into friends. I was more of a Seinfeld guy. Yeah, but, um, it's, it's it's a better show. I mean it, it, it's yeah. But yeah, so I just thought yeah, yeah, I thought you had a pretty uh I thought that was pretty uh, good choice of words and what your thing was. And I know I'm, pro- I'm probably a little bit more extreme, but yeah, I just don't, I, I saw that right away and was like the, the radar was going off. Like these people I mean, are you, unbelievable. You could say it's puerile for Pedro to focus on someone's appearance and do the physiognomy thing. It seems like he's trying to kind of uh, ingratiate himself with a certain um, part of the right, but as I'll just pointed out, he's not just doing it with Jews. He did it with uh, David French, pointing out his physiognomy. So it's not an anti-Semitic thing. No, I, I, I mean, and he does work. Doesn't he work like directly for Paul Gottfried? I mean, wouldn't Paul Gottfried be like, "Bro, this guy's an anti-Semite. Get him out of here." I mean, you would think. Yeah, uh, no, so, right. and David Reboy, right? All those guys. Like, if if I mean, if if the Jews didn't like him, they'd let you know. Does he so, does he work with David Reboy? Well, I thought they. I mean, I I don't know if they work directly, right? But I do know they they course. I see them corresponding often on. on oh, you Twitter. know, speaking of Reboy, um, just to mention something, he was uh, a couple people. Who was the guy that did this? I think it was uh, Matt. Who's the guy that that he's like pretty hard right now? But then when the first, when the when the jogger thing happened, oh Matt Walsh, talking, Matt Walsh, yeah, Matt Matt Walsh said something about um, like the worst thing you could feel is despair, and it's terrible, or whatever. But I don't know if it's really a psychiatric thing. Like bad things happen. I mean, can you do stuff about it? And everyone jumped on him. Like David Reboy was one of them. They were like, oh, how could you say this? People suffer with depression and medicine helps them and all that. And he's like, dude, we disagree on something. That's okay. You know, we'll, we'll survive. But these people got all kind of uh, like you. It's almost like you attack psychiatry, like you're attacking religion. It was funny. Well, I always say about Matt Walsh, Matt Walsh is great when Ben Shapiro isn't writing his tweets. You know, Matt, yeah. when when Matt Walsh is doing his own, when Matt Walsh is being Matt Walsh, he's great. But like when, when he's got a, I guess daily wire calls him up and they're like, bro, if you want your paycheck, you got to tweet this fucking nonsense out for, for a couple of days. And it's like, it's weird too, because I don't know. I notice it. It's his whole like 
style kind of changes, it'll change for a couple of days and it'll be like daily wire talking point type shit. And then he'll go back to tweeting like his normal, his normal self. I don't know if you've ever picked up on anything like that before, but I kind of, I've kind of joked about it before, but sometimes when I really look at his stuff, I'm like, maybe there's something to that. I was like, I was yeah. just joking in the beginning, but maybe there's something to that. Like, I feel like Ben calls him up and was like, yo, bro, you go, you're too hard. Like come back to the daily wire. We got to sell page clicks. So like tweet about, you know, how America and Israel, the greatest allies or some shit like that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. like all of a sudden his shit gets like really kind of, I don't know, d- daily wire ish, I guess you could say, and, and not really Matt Walsh. Oh yeah. The whole thing with Dom at Arbery was just insane. Yeah, I like to sometimes I just walk into building sites and just look around. You're like, <sighs> yeah, you're like, oh, I don't know if you guys dude. saw the post on uh, on Uns about that, but it was, I think it was by, um, <laughs> who did that? Let me take a look. Was it Co or Co, um, Cole? He's pretty good. No, I think it might have been Jared. Um, Oh, talking about how Ahmed Arbery was known as like the jogger, and people knew, and he was breaking into houses or already. About like, how they, like the, the, those men were basically just kind of, it, I don't want to say railroaded, but the sentencing was just kind of ridiculous. I mean, these yeah. guys weren't out to lynch him; they were trying to like they they gave they provided the video because it it was exculpatory, and and that's what the first prosecutor said. And then oh, it was Jared Taylor and yeah. just justice for Ahmed Arbery question mark. This was earlier this month is, is a good post about it. Their, their lives are basically ruined their family. They were trying to defend their property. It, it's just, I mean, I could see maybe you, well, at the time, I don't think they were even violating Georgia rule. Like there, there's a, a three well, the guy lunged, thing. He lunged for the shotgun. I mean, that yeah, alone. Like a, I mean, there's a three-page explanation why the first prosecutor didn't didn't press charges, and he just like quoted chapter and verse. He's like, they were armed. Well, there's this Georgia law that said they could be armed. They were going out to pursue him. Well, there's this Georgia law that said that they could apprehend someone and make a citizen's arrest. And then when this thing happened, the guy he he clearly attacked them, and they were fighting over the the shotgun. I mean, the guy that was filming it who in a separate car is going to jail for life for that. It makes no sense. Yeah. I, well, again, it's, it's, um, you know, this is where the, the judiciary is just, is, is totally off. I mean, none of our, I tell you what, the left has done a, a, a better job at this, at, at destroying institutions than the right could ever attempt to do. And it's just by discrediting them um, because that, that's really what that was. I mean, the guy, the two, two things that caused, uh, you know, the biggest nightmares like George Floyd, if George Floyd had just gotten in the cop car and drove away, you'd never would have heard of George Floyd. You never would have yeah. heard of him if he had just gotten in the cop car and drove away. Right? Yeah. Well, that's another example where, I mean, basically both cases, I mean, we know what happened. Guys were kind of thrown under the bus in the hopes of preventing riots or further riots. And it, it wasn't really justice. 
It's it's and it's not. And and that's the thing. It's not justice. It's it's not. And and the irony is right in either one of those. I don't think they brought any hate crime charges. I know they didn't against Chauvin. Right. And but it was it was perceived and pushed as it was a hate crime because it was based on racism. Yet they they never you. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, that was the media narrative, right? No, I mean, did they not bring charges against them? So in the states did not, but the I guess they're going after him. Um, they're going. Uh, he's got another federal court case that they're doing because it's the Biden administration. No, he for, pled, yeah, I just pulled it up. He pled guilty to federal charges of violating George Floyd's civil rights. He pleaded guilty. I, I guess. But again, it's no. Now the other thing, Dave, is that they're was no mention of it being a hate crime in either either one, right? Because usually okay. they add that hate crime, right? When it has to do with right, like the guy who threw the drink at the the peanut butter drink at the girl that's now everybody's talking about in Connecticut. The guy threw because his kid he told the girl no peanuts. The girl put peanuts in the drink. The kid went into anaphylactic shock and then he came in and had a fucking meltdown in the store. And he called her an immigrant. He got hit with like a Racial charge well, kind of fired t- from his, uh, his 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 job, which which is fucked up. I mean, it's um, it, it's just ridiculous. You you can't judge people by like like extremely stressful uh, moments. It, it's kind of like when uh, when Paula Dean got attacked for using the the N word. She did it when she was being held up by like a black guy, you know, in a bank robbery or something. And it's like, okay, maybe she shouldn't have done that or something. But it's sort of an extraordinary circumstance where maybe you just kind of, that doesn't indicate the person is anti-immigrant, racist, whatever. People say ugly things in ugly situations and have some grace about it. Well, look, you see it all the time. A guy, a pro athlete will or beat the hell out of his wife and they rehabilitate him and he's back on the field in six months. Um, and you know, Hey, you can't draw, judge him after the one incident. You go, well, but oh, did oh. they do that about uh, what's his name? The coach. Who you got fired for the emails. Oh, Gruden. Yeah. But they, here's the, I mean, that's, that's right. That's my whole point is the hypocrisy yeah. is like, they wanted Gruden out, and they you talk about getting railroaded. I mean, you're gonna dig up emails from 10 fucking years ago, dude. I mean, like, and about and it wasn't even he called because he called the guy rubber lips, and the guy happened to be black. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's so like the f- same territory as uh, as as um, as Pedro. What do you mean? Like the physiognomy, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he got the guy, well, the guy having their big lips. I mean, you know, no, no, yeah, but I thought when he called, when he said something about the guy having rubber lips, I think what he meant was like, I guess there's an old, I don't know, I want to say anecdote or, or some stupid shit about when you say someone has rubber lips, it means they, they talk a lot or something, or they talk a lot of shit and they don't know what they're talking about or something. It's like an old thing. That's what he meant by or supposedly that's what he meant by it. we talked about this on one of the shows and because neil and todd thought he was racist or whatever or i don't know if todd did but neil was like oh it was racist it was like it was like okay whatever but yeah uh, um 
but again, it was like not even stuff that he did when he was employed in the NFL, right? It was ESPN. So if ESPN wanted to take action, right, whatever that action is, they could have taken whatever. And the simple fact is they leaked the emails out because I guess Gruden or whatever was against some sort of player policy they were going to come out with. And this guy was like, they, they wanted Gruden out of the way. Something, something to that effect. That was the – I can't remember it off the time. They, they they were going after him for something more than just being the coach and being a racist guy. I mean, here's a guy he's in a locker room with black guys every fucking day. You don't think they would know if he was racist or if he had a racist bone in his body? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just – it's insane because, you, what again, it's, it's – shit like that is – not to get all philosophical, but shit like that is meant to get people to believe – in things that aren't how 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 do i how do i want to say this it's like it's it's what like the communists used to do to demoralize people right it's not that they want you it's it's not that you they don't want you to know it's a lie they want you to know it's a lie but they want you to have to repeat it and it's the same kind of thing with this with this kind of shit it's like they want they know you know it's it, there's nothing there, but they want you to believe and then have to pretend that something is there when it's and when it's really not there because it's, it's about you. You're thinking about yeah, like exactly, whole, uh, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, I know I'm like I like my I'm having a brain fart, but it's like now you're thinking about what's his name that that writer talked about the the Havel's greengrocer or something. Yeah, it's what Solzhenitsyn, right? I think it was a like an American writer that talked about. Or, or a British writer about how um, he studied communist societies and he found that the the less the propaganda corresponded to reality, the better, because it was a sign of of obedience that you were saying something that obviously wasn't true. Yeah. Well, and I think and I, I told the Solzhenitsyn thing I was referring to is what you said, right? Which was the humiliation. Yeah, right? it's about humiliating. It's humiliating to to uh, to say things you know that aren't true, and it, and it, it's 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 a way to prove that they kind of have you under their thumb. Right, and that and that's and to me that was what the Gruden email was, right? Because again, to your point, you say something off color, you write something, and then it's like his emails weren't the only ones leaked. There were other emails leaked too, but you never heard of them. Right. You never, what were the contents of them? Right. And it was whatever. So, um, but no, I, I just think like all, all that stuff kind of getting back to the Pedro thing is like, is like you have, if, if you, if you allow them in one bit and you don't fight the fight it tooth and nail, I mean, even at this point, even if you are like 99.9% wrong, if you don't fight these people tooth and nail, not only are you, it's like a wave, man. It's like, not only are you gone, but it'll take out everybody around you or near you. Um, and that's kind of where we are in the, in the body politic today. And once, once cancellations like that, I mean, you can get canceled for something you did 25 years ago. I mean, it just, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, to your point, a moment of weakness, a moment of stress. Um, yeah. You say or do something that's, uh, you know, and what is even outside of the bound? You know, it's like, again, I, 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 
what is really outside of the bounds, you know, what is, um, and who says it is right. Um, but anyway, uh, I just wanted to thank you. I saw, I, I wanted to, uh, I guess we could move on and then I, I don't know if, uh, might want to wrap it up here. I I've got w one more thing. Um, did you get a chance to listen to the, uh, the, Char the Charles Murray, Steve Saylor? Yes, I did. Yeah, I, I, I the, did the, as the well. The first half that they posted. Yeah, I thought that was uh, fantastic. And you know who I, I thought would be a, an interesting? I know Charles Mar Murray. They had Charles Murray and Steve Saylor name a guy that they would uh, – I forget who Charles Murray. They, he named like some liberal guy. Um, I think they but, would. Well, they, I, um, he named one, well, one, one guy they mentioned was uh, – they mentioned – that black linguist, I think. Oh, uh, Mc, John McWhorter. John McWhorter. I would have. Him. I would have. Liberal guy, Mc... I think, was. Uh, Tom think something. Were, oh, Tom Edsel. He said that the guy, Charles Murray, said that he had like complete trust every time he was interviewed by him. He knew he, his views would be represented accurately. Yeah, I, I thought um so I listened to the whole thing. I, I and one thing I came away with was that you know, I generally found myself in in both of their camps, right? Where it's like you have this data, we know there's differences, you know there's different IQ levels. Like nobody says you have to go beat somebody over the head to remind them that they have a lower IQ than you, like they're still a fucking human being. But at the same time, like we can't ignore the reality that there are differences between people and then we have to adjust our culture and our and our worldview in a way that we either accommodate some of these differences in a in a manner that's not detrimental to everybody else or we have to stamp out some of these differences in the sense of like be restrictive of certain things so people don't behave or do things in a certain way and i thought that i was like well you know, obviously to me, I was like, well, that makes sense. I mean, that's at least the gist I got right when Charles Murray was like, look, um, there's all these differences, but that doesn't make anyone else less human than anyone else. I said, fuck. I mean, nobody, I mean, I've never said that. And I was like, I totally in agreement with Charles Murray, but it's like, I also agree with the other point of like, there are differences between people and this idea that everyone is e equal in in that respect just is stupid because you know that's not true people some people are tall some people are short it's like there's differences well right? i mean i don't want to be they, they didn't put it in in this harsh term but in the interest of being um concise i i think i'm trying to find a tactful way of saying this america really has been geared toward assuaging the concerns and the perceived slights of African-Americans. And I think if you continue to do that, when it comes to the two issues that Murray wrote the book about, you know, facing reality, the crime, and then the IQ stuff, what ends up happening is America is going to kind of be at the level of African-American communities in terms of crime and in terms of academic achievement, maybe not academic achievement, but everything else. It's like, 
you want to go to Mars and you also want to elevate the historical importance of a woman that may have, you know what I mean? You, I don't think you can, you can be a first world nation and at the same time pander to your, your lowest performing group. Because we're seeing the, the, we're seeing the, the reality of that now, like for example, New York city, they got rid of a lot of policies that were effective at, at um, reducing crime because they disproportionately impacted black people because those were the people that were committing most of the crimes or the, the plurality of the crime. So they got rid of it and now it's happened. There's more crime. Yeah. They're so, pushing I mean, people, that's they're pushing people onto the tracks. Like cra- yeah. people aren't even waiting yeah. by the tracks now. It's crazy. Yeah, there's also that horrible situation in, uh, in Harlem the other week where the guy went in and shot this, um, this, this Puerto Rican 19 year old girl that was working as a cashier at night and killed her for no reason. He'd already robbed a store, but that would have been prevented by Michael Bloomberg's policy. Well, I, I guess he kept it over from uh, Giuliani, Giuliani. stop and frisk. Yeah. What they did was stop and frisk. They'd see a black guy like that and they would, they basically come up with some pretext to stop him and they would frisk him. And if he had a gun, they would take it off. And what happened, like Steve Saylor made this point is because you would go to jail if you had a gun, they stopped carrying guns. So he most likely, if they were stopping frisk still, this guy wouldn't have had a gun and he wouldn't have shot that woman. And it, it reminds me of something else. Recently, you guys know Paul Graham, right? The Silicon Valley guy who I guess he's in yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> he talked about how he said, I think he was talking about anonymity in social media or something like this. And he said, um, if he got rid of it, I forget what the what the I forget what the what what his 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 pretext was, but his point was, if you do X, it's going to mean that the only people that could speak their minds are people like me that have money, and and I responded and I said, well, I I don't think that's true, and I don't think you believe it either, because you wrote a famous essay, like sixteen years ago, called "What You Can't Say," and you may not be at risk of having your livelihood taken from you, but you're at risk of having your social status taken from you for saying things that you know to be true, but that are currently taboo. And I mean, another example, look at Michael Bloomberg. The guy's worth like, I forget last time I looked. I mean, it's like, it's tens of billions of dollars he's worth. He's one of the richest men in America, tens of billions. And he knows the policies that would fight crime in New York. And he, 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 he's on, like, there's a tape recording of him saying this years ago at, a, I think, a thing in um, that big conference out in, out west in, in the summer. That what, the, CPAC? The, no, this isn't a political thing. This is like, well, it's not ostensibly oh, political. Oh, South, South by Southwest? Or? No, this one's out in um, <laughs> Colorado or somewhere. I forget Coachella? where it is. <laughs> no, not a contest. <laughs> This is where like the day kids go. People that write for the Atlantic magazine and stuff like that. But no, he was on tape. He, like, hey, he talked about stop and frisk. The, the point I'm making is the guy's got all the money in the world, but he will not come out and say that what the state he's doing now is, is wrongheaded and it's getting people killed because he'll lose his social status because the culture has moved in a different direction. 
Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, overall, I, I thought it was great. I, the other point I got was just that, um, Charles, <coughs> Charles, Charles Murray still doesn't get it. Like he doesn't get, he's, he was talking about everyone getting along together and being what I was like, yeah, you don't get it. I was like, I don't know how you could be that fucking smart and still not get it. But uh, I mean, Whatever, I, and yeah, I, I I think with with Steve, I was really impressed because he's like the smartest, laziest, smart guy I've ever heard of. My he's just like, yeah, I just kind of, I didn't want to write books. I just wanted to write some articles, and yeah, you know, I just liked to statistics as a kid. When it started off, I guess when he was thirteen, I just thought Sailor's whole uh origin story was was phenomenal he's just like yeah i just got kind of into it a little bit and then i just started you know putting statistical models together i was like who the fuck does that only a super smart person would want to go like hey let's put a statistical model together of all this stuff that's the those are words that have never come out of my mouth yeah. um but but yeah, I overall I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was engaging, and I thought if I could have picked the third guest, I would have liked to have had like someone like Emil, because I know him and Charles Murray have gone back and forth before uh, on Twitter. A lot of stuff I don't when they get real technical and sciency and stuff I don't understand. Emil's but I great. Thought, uh, the only thing about Emil is I think for for like a gateway drug for normies, Sailor and Charles Murray are great. Emil is a little bit more provocative. I mean, he kind of has fun with stuff. Yeah, well, right. And I just—I mean, he says the truth, but he still—he does it with a little bit of a twinkle in his eye sometimes. <laughs> um, I just thought it would be good. It would be fun to have him as a kind of a third party in the conversation. It would have been nice. And I thought the host did a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, I, I really like that. I'm looking forward to the second part. I really like Sailor. I like. Um, I like when people come at him in Twitter and how he just kind of stays that even keel. Where yeah, you know, he's unruffled. He's totally unruffled. Yeah, and they get all angry. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I I get a kick out of it, and then well, that's why I think it's a good gateway drug because if people hear about him, they've heard negative things, and then they, him and Charles Murray just sound like these total mild mannered guys, not a hateful bone in their bodies, especially Sailor. Like, you know, yeah. I feel like Murray would kind of preach to you because he's a Harvard, right? He's a Harvard dude. He's he's he, he's older. He's got less time for you. He's a little bit of a curmudgeon. Yeah, exactly. He's he's he's. Um, whereas I think Steve Saylor would be that guy who you would come home and be like, you'd, you'd never believe what I was talking to when I was having a beer at the bar today. I just started talking to this guy and he knew all this stuff about all this. And like to me, that's that's kind of uh, sailor in a nutshell. Um, and just, I'm just amazed about how unflappable he is. Because he, because sailor does. I mean, when sailor talks about data, it's it's painful for these liberals, right? I mean, your whole worldview. Steve shows you statistics that crashes these people's worldview. Yeah, and they go out. They get absolutely apoplectic. And you guys should invite him on sometime. I would love to have Steve on. I'd love to have Steve on. I'd love to just listen to more just Steve talk. I mean, I, I would I would love to. Maybe I will. I'll I'll shoot him uh share sure, like a list of questions ahead of time. A DM kind of keep it structured. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. 
Um, actually, you know what? That's a really good idea. Uh, maybe I'll do that. But I, yeah, I, I just, um, I just really like, like, like Steve in the sense that he just doesn't, he just doesn't engage. Like if you're going to be a, just a, a complete nutball, he's just like, yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. And then, and then his, and then his references, but yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason why people hate Steve and Charles is because they, they destroy the public school narrative that people get fucking spoon fed their entire lives when they just show one or two statistics, you know, and then on top of it, to your point, right. They're mild mattered, nice guys. So it's like, it makes it even more enraging, right? Cause you would want someone who shatters your worldview to be, um, uh, uh, the, the, the man of the hour that everybody always uses, right. You want it to be Adolf Hitler. But in reality, when it's like the nice old man next door who just totally shatters your worldview, you're like, you know, what, how do you how do you handle that? Most most of these people are, I think, on the left are mentally ill to begin with or have some sort of like slight mental illness. So, yeah, shit, shit like that puts them over the edge. I mean, but again, I, I, I it's a great interview. The interview we're referring to is on uh, the Powerline podcast. Um, with uh, Steve Saylor and Charles Murray, look really excited for the second um, part. But um, you know, those guys are kind kind of do the tough, real work of really actually looking at problems and trying to uh, figure out solutions, or at least kind of address what is actually happening. And uh, they get a lot of shit from people. So, I mean, that was like, uh, uh, I'll say this one last thing, and then we can kind of wrap up but that was like um who was it uh was it watson or crick it was one of the guys who helped develop the dna and he said something about people being different and having watson like, it was watson yeah yeah watson and they he took his lab away and all that. yeah they like canceled the, the guy was yeah. like nine years old and they like the guy's yeah. like dying in his deathbed and they're like hey by the way we fucking knocked your statue down before you die you, you old yeah. bastard and you're like holy shit you know, call the guy who creates DNA goes, look, we ain't the same, you know, and everyone, oh, my God, you can't say that. And yeah. um, what was it? That woman had to defend him. She was like a student. She was I think she wrote a book. She was like one of his students for a long time or one of the professors that worked in the lab. I forget the book she she wrote. She kind of like danced around some of his claims, right, because he made these claims about what was it about race or something like that about the differences and the genetic differences. And you said that you wanted to believe that things would change in some way, like, but they, um, there are some biological reasons why certain things had developed in certain directions, something like that. I forget the verbatim part. I mean, it's the idea that people separated by deserts and oceans wouldn't develop differently. That they, I mean, the idea that they'd all be exactly the same after tens of thousands of years makes no sense. So some of us are going to be better at some things, some are going to be better at other things. That's just common sense. And it's all evolving. You know, we're still evolving. So who knows what yeah. will happen in the future? Exactly. So, well, I think uh, this is a great point to, to wrap it up, Dave, I've really, as usual, enjoyed our conversation. Uh, glad yeah, you're doing well. Here. Thanks for having me, and uh, maybe we'll get we'll get to the sports next time.
Oh yeah. Shoot. That's a, that's a good, that's a good point. Um, yeah, we'll have to, well, I, I really, uh, I've been tooling around. I know Neil, Neil would appreciate it as well, but try to, uh, split off and do more of a sports oriented, I guess, go down. I guess I'd we'd be just another, uh, foe like Clay Travis. Cause I know he does his sports and then he's got his politics too with Buck Sexton. But uh, maybe try to do just like a, a sports show. I know Todd, you'd probably really like that. Get, I would like, have a lot of sports, but I mean, just uh, you know, with uh, just just the stuff happening, like well, uh, talk about current events, things that well, are happening. All right, before we go, then what? Um, give us, give us your, give us your best sports story in relation to current events. What, what do you got? Well, current stuff. I mean, for, for as a Giants fan, I think it's good that they got rid of both the coach and the general manager, I think starting with a clean slate and the new general manager is uh, a guy from Buffalo who um, I got a, a buddy on Twitter. Who's a Buffalo fan and he, he speaks highly of him. And then uh, the, let's see this weekend. Yeah. The, the close games in the, in the NFL um, UFC was a tough card to bet, but that was interesting what happened there. I mean, it was pretty unexpected, uh, particularly the main card, with Nagano and, and gone. I mean, a lot of people went into that thinking it was going to be KO one way or the other. And it went the distance and it was a, it was a really close fight and they both um, were pretty impressive. And Nagano in particular, I mean, he, his grappling was something he didn't have. like a few years ago, he fought Stipe Miyakic. I can't even pronounce his last name. Oh, Miocic. Miocic, there you go. But he just, uh, Stipe dominated him on the ground. And then he beat him the next time because he, he learned how to defend against that. And um, he, like, he seems like his game's evolved. And then there's the whole politics around it where Dana White didn't put the belt on him afterwards. And, you know, there's this contract dispute between uh, Nagano and the UFC and all that. I don't know. I don't know anything uh, about that. I did hear that the Gano fight was was really good from from Twitter. Um, really, just kind of following. I'm not a super huge uh, UFC guy, but uh, yeah. I, I I would like to. Uh, I guess this is bonus bonus. We're in bonus uh, well, content time. I've got I've got to jump in. So okay. this was the greatest uh, divisional weekend of the NFL playoffs in history. All four games went down to the final play, and why Buffalo uh, coach could not have his kicker drop the ball between the goal line and the 10 with 13 seconds left to force Kansas City to have to return the <coughs> kick to run some time off the clock, I'll never know. Oh, well, that reminds me, the, the Jeffrey Gunlock, the, the billionaire hedge fund guy, wherever he is, he was saying what they should have done is, Squib kick, but then after that, he said, just tackle the wide receivers right from scrimmage. Now, I was thinking about that. Like, I guess the idea is he'll get penalized for holding, defensive holding or something, or potentially defensive um, you know, delay of game. But couldn't the ref have the authority? Like, if you did that with the obvious intent of killing the clock, could the ref say, you know, timekeeper, please add whatever? six seconds to the clock or something. Well, well so I would what think... happens what happens is a defensive penalty cannot end the game. 
So they would oh, I know that. the game I know that, yeah. one play. So, but well, quite frankly, think... for, you could have done that with the previous two or three plays on that drive. Well, what I'm saying is, I, I know can't. I know game can't end on a defensive penalty, but you're in a situation where it takes more than one play, most likely, to get the field goal range. And right. the ref knowing that, and knowing that the defense is deliberately trying to to waste time, couldn't he just have him put time on the clock to counter that? No, nope. I think there's no penalty I, against that. I it's think cool. the only thing the referee could do if he saw that in that moment, <laughs> yeah, is throw an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty because it's you're you, you're what are you doing? You're not honoring the the rule, right? The rules of the game. It's, it's, it's unsportsmanlike. It's not, it's not following the. So if he did that a few times, like 45 yards, maybe that puts him in field goal range. Well, yeah, that's what, that's what I mean. I mean, if you, if you get the five yard plus a 15 tacked on, plus you're not taking any time off the clock and then just move 20 yards down the field. What would attack on him or just be one or the other? Oh, that I don't. Well, that I, well, it, oh, would, that I don't. it would uh, tack on if they completed the pass. But my no, thing no, no. We're talking about they got tackled the line of scrimmage, like just totally illegal. Right. So it would be 15 yards, and that's it. Uh, that, okay. That's it. So yeah, I mean, quite frankly, if you're in that situation on the defense, you should do that. You you definitely should do that because you're you're giving up. Yeah, but you're you're like kind of dishonoring the rules of the game. That's where I think the ref would throw like an unsportsmanlike because you're not. That's not. You want to be able to to keep them from getting in the field goal range in 13 seconds without doing that. I mean, maybe I don't think this. So so here's 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 my take for what it's worth. When they when Buffalo scores. They got 13 seconds on the clock, right? Or no, they yeah. had more than that because it got down to 13 seconds, right? Or no, they had 13 seconds. I think it was 13 because I think the ball went out. Okay. Of, like, yeah. It but went out of bounds, right? So but they had all three timeouts. Yeah. Right. Okay. First thing, first thing you do is, and as much as it pains me to say this, Chris Collinsworth said it. In the, I want to say in the, was it the Rams game? Maybe the Rams Niners game or whoever. I want to say Collinsworth said it. But you got to play football. And so when you kick the ball down the field and they bring it out to what the 25 or whatever it is, and they, and they set up in the prevent defense. My father always said growing up, my father's a diehard Giants fan. Um, and my father said, the only thing prevent defense does is it prevents you from winning and when they yep exactly and when they and when they came out and they played that prevent and kelsey just sits in the hole it's like dude they got timeouts like you you're you're playing it as if um uh they need a like the you're playing it as if they need a field goal right um well, that's when the first play to Kelsey, you just pull Kelsey down. It's a five-yard holding penalty. That's it. And it weighs five seconds. I mean, there are ways to do that. So Yeah, but, but I mean, yeah, but if they had just kind of guarded him, they, he wouldn't have got – he got what, like a 28-yard? I mean, that was a huge chunk play. If they had – if they he ran a seven-yard in – Right, and they tackled him. Well, now he's in the middle of the field. They ran a couple of seconds off. They got to call a timeout. You, you continue to play football. You got to continue to play defense. And 
the defense that Buffalo was uh, was running wasn't terrible. I mean, Mahomes was making plays, but he was like sidearm and shit. But he was also like getting himself into trouble, and he also got sacked a bunch of times. So who's going to say at the end of the game there? There's not a lot of there's a lot of pressure there that Buffalo plays regular defense. They actually get a rush on them and they sack Mahomes. Game over, right? I mean, yeah. Well, um, I mean, game on the way to beat over, sure. And, and, and so when I see when you see Buffalo just set up in that defense, you're like, what the what the hell are you doing? And then the other thing is is you have to go after this weekend. You have to go to college rules. You have to go to the college overtime rules. You have to. You have to. How are you not going to give the ball? I mean, they talk oh. about ra- the NFL talks about ratings all the time. You tell me, you tell me, uh, Josh Allen and Mahomes having a, a, a eighty-two to seventy-nine uh, <laughs> game where we're going back and forth, right? You're, you're telling me that's not going to be great for ratings. So I hate they're, they're ha- college overtime rules. What I would do is give both teams the ball in regular overtime. That's what I would do. So, and if you have to go for two on the first touchdown, fine. In overtime, why not, why not just make it go the full ten minutes? Oh, yeah. just play until it's just play. Yeah, so it's so, like extra time, right? In in soccer, and then what? Yeah. Do a penalty? Do penalty kicks where the where the field goal guy comes out, and then you just keep moving it back five That's yards. Idea, yeah, I like that. Yeah, like a. <laughs> Go for penalty kicks. That's fun. That's not, I mean, actually, you play ten minutes. If it's still tied at the end of ten minutes, right? You don't you don't do a tie. You you start the field goal kicker at the thirty five, and then you just have the guy. You have the long snapper, the holder, and the kicker come out. No, no one to block it. Or no block. No one, no one to block it. No one. Okay, to, and okay. you just keep me. You just keep moving them five yards back until one of them misses, and then that's your game. I like it. I like that's it. That's a that's a great idea. Because you know what? Because it's like it, it changes the strategy with the overtime too. Because let's say you keep a ten minute overtime, you could you could win that simply by you could grind out the clock. It's not just scoring quickly. You you grind the clock down, and now people are using timeouts. And let's say you you ground out like six or eight minutes. Um, you're, you're increasing the chance. Let's say you did like eight minutes, took eight minutes to do it, and you're leaving like two minutes for the other people. It's, it's, I mean, that's another way to go. Well, yeah. Well, you grind, you grind eight regular, minutes. Oh, go ahead, Todd. I've seen that happen in the regular season. They have a 10 minute overtime. One team gets it for eight, the other for two, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. I'd make it, actually, I'd make it 15. Make it another quarter. Give it a, give it a fifth quarter, and then. You know, like let like go fifteen minutes, and if you did that, that would be exciting because then you'd have um, Mahomes gets it, then Allen gets it. They go back and forth. There'd be like four touchdowns in, in overtime. Well, I even if you go back, and then you to bring ten, out the kickers. You you got your ten minute one, right? You have yeah. you have eight minutes. I mean, you kick a field goal. You got two minute. What is a two minute drill for seven or six? Right sure. at that point, because you don't need the extra point. But but the other thing too is if it let's say uh, for some reason they took my suggestion and they and they made it an NFL rule, how valuable are kickers going to be now? Because you know they'll get a guy off the street sometimes for the playoffs, right? Maybe a punter. Maybe they're a little bit more judicious with the kickers that they bring in. But sometimes yeah. teams you'll see them burn through three, four kick. 
Now all of a sudden your kicker is your third highest paid paid player because just in case you got to win one of those overtimes, right? You want the guy kicking a seventy five yarder. Could be um, like a specialized position, like the the overtime kicker. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, well, that was like uh, what was it? The World Cup when uh, when uh, uh, the Dutch coach. Oh, I can see his face. Oh, he, he started in like, a different goalie. Yeah. Yeah, he was subbing it. He subbed in the different goalie for the goal for the penalty kicks and stuff. Yeah, so yeah, some food, some food for thought. But yeah, the Buffalo game, you know, and I really, I felt bad for who? Who's the head coach at Buffalo? I don't even know. McDermott. McDermott. Sean McDermott. I thought I thought he did a masterful job with his play calling, like all year. I thought he like when he. He, I mean, he totally, and this, I mean, the fact that I'm saying this is crazy enough, but he totally outcoached Belichick, totally outcoached Belichick in that game, all with all of his play calls and all the wrinkles he did and everything like that. Yeah. Um, You mean another game or Andy Reid in this game? No, the the Bills, the Bills coach in the playoff game against the Pats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Belichick. Um. Yeah, he totally out. Co- I mean, they the Bills killed the Pats. They killed them. Usually, the Pats are pre- usually the Pats when even when the Pats have a bad quote unquote team when they have a bad team. Belichick's only losing by like a score. He's only losing by seven or only losing by three. But they they got their doors blown off in the playoffs too. So. I mean, I, I thought that guy called, and then he was looking great against Kansas City, and then his defensive coordinator just kind of—I think it's panic when they play that prevent shit. They panic because they're like, "I fucking ran out of ideas." Like I, I like they saw Mahomes with the ball at 13 seconds. They're like, "I, I, I've ran out of ideas." And it's like, bro, you got 13 seconds. You just got to figure out to kill 13 seconds. Yeah. Like, what was your bit? What was your? You've got three dudes in the booth that are running like. Amazon web service fucking stats like the whole game. You got to look at the guy and be like, give me the, the our best five plays in defense that we ran tonight. And then you yeah. just call, you just call one of those five plays <coughs> statistic, right? You you play the statistics. Hey, what's, what's, yeah. what's, what's Kansas city's best offensive play there? Oh, uh, it was, uh, it was over the middle to Kelsey. Okay. Well, what did we have to counter that? All right. We did this one, but we still gave up eight yards. Okay. Fuck it. I'm not talking about yardage. Now I'm talking about time. Right, so if I tackle them in the middle of the field, they have to call a timeout, but they still just burnt four seconds. All right, let's run that play. I mean, I gotta think. I mean, again, what do I know? I'm just a guy on a podcast, but like, I gotta think. Like, they have these huge staffs. Like, who are isn't someone tight? You see him walking around with the Microsoft surfaces. I mean, aren't this isn't yeah. this the shit they're talking about? I, I, I don't said know. this last night. I think sometimes uh, guys that play the Madden video game are better at time management than NFL coaches. And that, that bothers me. So, yeah. There's yeah, you're actually right. That, that, that there's a weakness. It's there, weird. There should, be on, yeah. there should be someone on every staff that does time management. You're right. You're absolutely right. That's a good point. Yeah. Speaking of which, guys, it's like uh, 3. It's after 3 a.m. on the East Coast over here. So, I think I'm going to have to call it a night. But it's been a pleasure talking to you guys. <laughs> yeah, I thanks. look forward so. to doing it again. Yeah, thanks for spending time with us, Dave. We always love having you on. Oh, pleasure, and, guys. Uh, thank, thank you, and we'll uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, sounds good. Take care, guys. All right. Do you want to head us out? 
Yeah, so I'm glad we were able to get some sports. And we could have talked about, I mean, uh, to your point, Todd, I know you were uh, totally excited yesterday. We could have talked football. We could have had a whole football episode, I guess. Um, at least just for the, even just the weekend, not football in general. So we, we could have exactly. Yeah, great, great games all around. I I thought the uh, the Rams game was good uh, against Tampa Bay. I thought Tom Brady was going to do it. I thought it was twenty eight three Atlanta. I thought so too. But and, uh, and now um, I hear some talk about Brady's last game. Because his wife doesn't want him to play football anymore. So I t- I tell you what he 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 looks like he could play another two years. Uh, I mean he there's nothing there's nothing he did wrong. No, I agree. He I mean he didn't he, he he came out kind of flat in the first half, but Tom Brady's flat is most people's best. So, um, I I didn't see as long as he doesn't get hit like real bad there's nothing i could i, I mean it, it doesn't look like his arm strength has gone down. i mean the guy's still kind of pinging balls in there i mean he, he that was as good as ever really i mean he's lost almost nothing i mean, I mean he's lost something but not much i'm not comparing the guys in terms of talent but in longevity and arm strength like i think mark brunel played into his mid 40s Right. And Mark Brunel was a lefty, had a lot of power. And by um, the way, a Washington Husky. Yeah. Um, he, I mean, he was great. And I think he finished as a Jet, as like the backup on the Jets. Um, and I want to say he was like 42 or 43, but kind of like the same thing. Like, as long as your arm strength is there, right? As long as you can kind of squeeze it into those tight spots. Um, and I don't think Brady's ever had any major shoulder injuries or anything like that. I mean, the guy's been healthy his whole career. No, just that one knee injury, that one year, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, now that Tom Brady's not a Patriot, it's fun to watch him. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I love him now. Like, I'm like, oh, Tom's great. But, but, uh, but yeah, he, uh, I hope he plays another year. But if he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, so. Yeah, oh, we'll good. see. He's um, played a career, that's for sure. Yes, he has. He can. Exactly. Um, I, You know what? He's a pretty smart dude. I'd love to see him in the booth. That might be something. So it'll be fun to hear him call games, be like, I'm the greatest quarterback who ever lived, and this guy sucks. <laughs> so it'll be funny. I would love to see that. But anyway. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll take us out. Um so uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to us. This is your nasally uh, podcaster who's not pro-fighting uh, uh, in Ukraine um, as uh, Oleg24, uh, who wants to fly me to New York City so he can beat me up because uh, I don't want Americans to die in Ukraine. Uh, so anyway, as, uh, as we say, uh, thank you for listening to Review the News, where we make the news makes sense to you. Um, And we will uh, see you next episode. Todd, any parting words? Episode 61 in the books. In the books. All righty.